The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined, of course, as always, every fortnight by my co-host, Dan. How you doing, Dan? What's going up? I see some some nerd books behind you, some binders, a couple of game cases, a lamp, a telescope. There's a telescope that we basically never use, but we're never going to throw it away. Yeah, not much. (laughs) <laughs> spending all day, every day, analyzing uh, data and doing schoolwork. So that's been fun. You know, you have been saying that. I think me and you talked about this yesterday, like that it, I think both of us basically haven't had a day off for like three weeks. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably around that line. I don't know. I, I usually do a little bit every day, even if I don't take a complete day off. Uh, I mean, even if I don't do a complete day, but yeah, for the past three weeks, it's been at least eight hours a day, like every day for me. <laughs> well, the good news is this recording will be the first one where we're not both absolutely exhausted and having memory block errors while we talk. <laughs> for the first time in several weeks, I would say, wouldn't you? We can hope so. <laughs> what, what I think a lot of people don't know is like, you're maybe involved in 10, 20% of the content, but you also have a full grad student life on the I'm side. Also a, yeah, I'm also a full-time graduate student with all that that entails. Classwork, research, TAing, everything. And I mean, on my end, I don't know if this will have technically been announced in a video before this podcast comes out, but on my end, I'm busy. I mean, obviously just trying to hire up staff and you know, run the website and everything on the side in addition to the videos and podcasts we put out. But I'm also, I think I, I think it's time to announce that I'm moving, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's time to tell everyone I am moving that my house here in Peoria is for sale, which is annoying, by the way, because I constantly just like basically get a call from some realty firm like, oh, uh, we have someone who wants to come in in 30 minutes. Leave your house now. Oh, that's pretty convenient. <laughs> Because you don't want me, they don't want you there while they're yeah, showing yeah. your house, which I just assumed, but I asked them and they're like, oh yeah, don't be here. Because if you can imagine, like if I was a realtor and I was trying to throw someone a house and someone was just sitting on the couch while you walked around them. <laughs> and then I'm sure there's a lot of examples of people going, hmm, I don't know if I like this kitchen. And then the guy going, hey, what don't you like about this kitchen? They're marble, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I think it's a great selling point because you could just yell things about the house to the people as they're walking through it, which I think that sounds pretty nice. So this is not how you would sell houses? Um, No, I think there should uh, some dude should just be yelling things about the house to the people visiting the entire In town. a New York <laughs> accent. Yeah, yeah, that would, be, that would make for a great selling experience or buying experience, I think. But yeah, so my house is for sale. You know, I'm, I'm 
We'll talk about it a little more when it comes up in various stories. There are some things related to this. I'm looking into a new house, like almost almost for sure in Nashville, looking to have a studio in it with much more room, a benchmarking station, just a real big boy setup. Not you know a little less of this. Uh, hey, I just started YouTubing. Look, I got going on in the background from my living room office area of my house. Yeah, I guess that is kind of true. It, it still does look like um <laughs> like you're like this is just a little corner that you use for your your work right now and having a full studio would look a lot more professional. You know, I like to think it's given Moore's Law's Dead an artisanal charm over the mm. years. But but at a certain point, you know, you know, it's, I think maybe it's time to go corporate now, Dan. Got to everybody has to at some point, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think that's enough of that intro banter. Let's get into some of the opening warm-up reader mails here. So Fire Squatch writes in and says, I've heard we can tip for beers, etc. during live streams. Assuming this is true, can we tip for shots? I'm asking for a friend. And I would say, you know, it always has been, here's like five bucks, go get a beer. It's never been shots. I have to say, I don't know if it's a good idea to bring like vodka shots into live streams. I think I already, like I already freaked out half of the console fanboys when I had an outburst at people once. (laughs) I I think we need to maybe minimize the amount of inconsistency and craziness. I don't know if shots are, are a good idea. Maybe not going like six shots deep on a live stream. Maybe don't do that. I mean, you brought this up. There was that one live stream I did where it was like five times I got tipped for a beer and I'm like, I'm done, guys. <laughs> I think yeah. I've been going for like two and a half hours, too. This is one of the longest ones. And I was like three beers in and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I think we're done here, people. <laughs> At a certain point, it was just like people to $15, do another beer, do another beer. Yeah, and it's like, this isn't that kind of show or at least not right now it isn't. And so I'd say never say never. Never say never to anything. But um, yeah, actually, this reminds me when I was um, at college in Carlisle, England, there was this bar on Saturdays next to us, like nightclub-ish bar that I think had 50 pence. Oh, it was something like for a pound 50, you got two shots. And so me and Valerie would go there and we would (laughs) just so we have to get two at a time. I mean, I went to a <laughs> I went to a larger school than you did, so uh, <laughs> there was one bar near campus that did one dollar uh, drinks every th- every Thursday. Oh, yeah. I think that was that was a yeah, dangerous idea. Yeah, that was a dangerous idea. I don't think they should have done one dollar. You <laughs> always descended into madness there that night. Yeah, because it was a bunch of people getting. You could have 10 drinks for $10. It's not safe. <laughs> I think if I'm remembering correctly, in Chicago, like at a Cubs game, it's at Wrigley Field, uh, they, I heard this like, I don't, I think it was in the within the last decade. I, really, I'm losing track of time at this point, but it was like they did something insane, like 50 cent beers or like 75 or like $2 beers, like something way lower than usual and a riot broke out in the baseball stadium. <laughs> I think that I think that happened at like a minor league game. I don't think that was a, oh, a big major league wasn't game. Wasn't in the big one. There's there's been a couple major league baseball 
incited riots that have happened in the past. But I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, I don't think that happened in Chicago, at Wrigley Field at least. I, I bet we now just have comments full of like 10 examples though that we can choose from. Because I think this yeah. has happened multiple times. Um, Root Knight writes in and he says, I'm kind of late to the party, but I was listening to the cryptocurrency die shrink, which remember, you get die shrinks on subjects you guys vote for. If you are patrons, uh, you can listen to those. Because when you were talking about the US dollar being monopoly money, I had a thought. If the value of traditional money is determined by the entity that backs it up, which, which I would just jump in here and say, since we're not on a gold standard anymore, it's just that's what money is based on now. Backing up by the government, do you believe the government is stable enough to depend on this money? Um, wouldn't he goes, wouldn't you agree that right now Amazon gift cards could be used as a somewhat reliable form of currency? And my answer is yes. And I know organized crime does that a lot, like a lot. It's, it's still uh, by proxy, though, backed up by the US dollar. So it's not uh, perfect at this point. But yeah, if Amazon wanted to make Amazon bucks at some point, that would, pro- would be a currency. <laughs> well, and they effectively have. And I do, I do know yeah. a lot of illegal activity is paid for like what they'll do is they'll say well obviously we can't only pay you in this you need to pay other bills but we'll pay half of your pay in amazon because it's entirely easy to hide that money so yeah the people saying cryptocurrencies are used for illegal funds i mean so are like so is the u.s cards so is the u.s dollar well yes so is the u.s dollars the most used thing and yeah i think i no, I don't, let's, let's move on. Yeah. Corre- All right. Let us get in then to corrections and omissions. So Dr. Guns for Hands, uh, taking a break from Guns Akimbo, I assume, with Daniel Radcliffe, writes in, and he says, correction on Ethereum profitability, which I think, I think we've talked about that a few times in recent Broken Silicons. Um, he says, the reason that the profitability went down recently was a multifactorial thing. Difficulty increases due to the increasing hash rate was one piece of it. The other two are the price drop from nearly 2K mark and the more subtle issue of gas prices, which if I, what is Ethereum at now? I, uh, it, it, I'm, I bet it's at 2000 now, isn't it? After the latest, I don't know, it's at 1800. All right, I think it got to 1900 recently. Again, but anyways, and he goes, Ethereum's fees use a calculation of gas, how much processing is necessary for transactions and applications, contracts to execute, which is dependent on the, on the complexity of the task, right? Because depending on if you're just sending money or running a side chain, you know, mm-hmm. gas has two components, a quantity for the transaction and a price per unit of gas, which depends on how willing people are to bid up to get to the front of the transaction queue. Highest price gets processed first for a little bit there. Gas prices went from high to exorbitant, which resulted in excessively high profitability in mining calculations. I didn't know that part of the gas price being Mm. part of mining profitability. In theory, this gets solved in Ethereum implements sharding, if they do, increasing the number of transactions per block by an order of magnitude, bringing the gas prices down. Yeah, so I I, I mean, look, I've been mining Ethereum since... I mean, what, 2016, I want to say? 2017, at least 2017. 2016 or 17, I think. I don't really remember. Yeah, I don't remember when I first dabbled in that one. Before that, of course, it was Dash and Litecoin. But yeah, I thought that was worth reading because we kind of glossed over the difficulty increase without looking into it. And some people probably heard that. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Anything to add to that? No. (laughs) I mean, the only thing I would say additionally is it's like, well, that's why you can't look at profitability for any of these coins and go, it's only going to go up from here. No, you should assume it's going to be half that just to be safe and whatever you're uh, planning to make your money back. I, I guess he's pointing out that that, uh, well, not that that increase in profitability was even more, uh, what's the word I'm looking 
<laughs> was even more temporary. And I think the point still stands then that um, profitability ability isn't going to be at the rate it's at right now forever. So the people trying to sell you some pickaxe to mine with, uh, yeah. watch out. Selling you a Radeon 7 for 2000 bucks. Yeah. Like you're not, it's very unlikely you're getting that money back. Um, which I'll have a lot more to say about that soon. <laughs> Daniel Vega Hyde writes in with a correction. And he says, in Broken Silicon 90, you are discussing re- you were discussing Resizable Bar and how it's now implemented on NVIDIA's new cards and it's coming to older cards as well and older AMD CPUs. You state that AMD played down how easy it would be to implement Resizable Bar. I would argue that's not necessarily the case. Linus Tep Tips looked into this and compared the performance with it on and off between an NVIDIA and Intel system to an all-AMD system. It showed that AMD's implementation was more effective. Linus then states that Intel and NVIDIA systems only validated for one game and that, in his opinion, smart access memory from AMD is more than just resizable bar support, and it has a lot more driver optimizations right now, and I, at the very least, agree with him. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something we've dug into a ton. I, I stand by saying that AMD basically told me, well, uh, us, a bunch of people in an off in a closed door meeting, that this wouldn't be easy to implement quickly. It is implemented, but it's not as good as smart access memory, and that's worth. So it's not like they really lied, I guess, because you could argue that it's still not as yeah. effective. But you could also argue some of it may just be Zen three with RDNA two, all that cache. It works better in general there. I, I don't know. And I think it comes to a certain point, like your subjective term of what is going to take a while or whatever term and the terminology they use, like is six months to get it implemented as effectively as uh, AMD's a while? Is it two years? Yeah. Because I, I, I guess I, I doubt Ampere's implementation of uh, resizable bar will ever be as effective as it was with uh, smart access memory. But one generation down the line, I I'm assuming, and it will probably be just as effective or nearly as effective. Yeah, and you would assume that with upcoming chips, that's it's just turned on by default and almost everything yeah. supports it. I mean, if it gives you up to a 10% performance boost, it, I mean, come on, it's just letting you access more of the memory at once. It's really not that crazy. But I guess he's suggesting that there's a lot of evidence AMD's does a little bit more than that, though. Yeah. Um, anyways, though, I thought that was an important correction. Uh, so Hair Rats, final correction. He writes in, And he says, in Broken Silicon 90, a Broken Silicon 90 again, Dan. He says, Dan says, I'm glad Sony PSVR 2 is here for $200 because I don't want to spend $1,000 for a Vivia. I saw a decent amount of comments where people were like, what? These guys think it's going to be $200? I just need to say, guys, we were just kind of throwing around a number. It could be $300. I'm not saying it will be $200. It could be $400. I don't think it'd be more than that, though. I kind of doubt they'd let it be more than $400. I, I know, like when uh, PSVR one launched, what it launched for four hundred dollars. I, I don't remember. Depending and, on how many accessories you wanted, I, I thought it was closer to three hundred total, but I, I could be entirely wrong. Yeah, so I was kind of just remembering a price point that you could effectively buy at PSVR four um, <laughs> instead of the original MSRP. Because yeah, they're probably right. PSVR two will probably cost closer to three to four hundred dollars when it first comes out. It would not surprise me if they kept it below 300, but the fact is I'm hearing they're going to replace the move controllers finally yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> that they've been using since PS3, um, which I thought was nice because if you had some lying around or you had a few people with them lying around, you could just go to houses like, do you use this anymore? Can I use it right now? <laughs> like that was nice, but 
Yeah, the fact that they're going to have to come with new controllers, I'd assume the whole setup's 300 or more, but I guess we'll see. But anyways, he continues his correction, and he says, it's more of an FYI, but I think Dan has old info on VR headset prices. Well, yeah, we don't keep as much of attention. And he just kind of wants to go through a summary of what's going on right now with VR. So he says, number one, the Quest 2 64 gigabyte, $300. It's a standalone and works linked to a PC system with Steam. Most everyone is buying this, even though it requires a Facebook login, which he puts in parentheses. You do lose your games if your Facebook account gets banned. It re- it's really gross, but people are putting up with it for how cheap it is. Pretty sure Oculus Facebook loses money on it like consoles to make money back through games. Better than a $600 headset from years ago, though, in terms of quality, despite these issues. Uh, and I would just say, yeah, see, that type of stuff bothers me, though. I'm really not interested in messing with this crap. I don't like that. I, it's pretty damn hard to get your Facebook account banned. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, but it, it's not I do great. find it weird they want like a weird DRM collecting your data through Facebook. Yeah, I don't like that either. And the Reverb G2, he says, number two, $600, spiritual successor to the Valve Index, and really damn good. Designed by Valve and HP, built by HP because Valve had crazy quality control issues with the Index. Yeah, it's good they went with them. You see, and that's 600 So that's something, and I know that the, I think it's the Quest 2 doesn't have as high of a frame rate as well. Don't quote me. I do know that they had like some 72 hertz thing going on though that they were going to patch to 90 or one of these did he goes then there's the valve index for a thousand dollars 3090 of vr headsets is how i would put it still better than the reverb g2 and some metrics most people are getting quest 2 since it's 300 for a standalone that can run games by itself and with its snapdragon xr2 arm apu without a console or pc and connect to your pc and rival last gen 600 headsets it's very clear oculus facebook is taking the amazon approach of market share now profit later and you have a monopoly on the space. Scary thing is it's working. The fact is it's standalone headset too with late PS3 graphics basically means tons of casuals are buying into it who don't even have a PC, who don't own it, yeah, and, or don't game on console often. If curious and have time, check out the VR section of the Steam Hardware Survey uh, with Thrill Seekers Tuesday Newsday videos on YouTube, 10-minute uh, weekly VR news recaps. So I thought this was important to read because I do not believe me and you pay that close attention to VR right now. And this seemed like a pretty well-researched rundown of the current landscape. Yeah. I, the fact of the matter is, as when it comes to VR headsets, I'm, I'm really not paying that much attention to the new things that come out. Every once in a while, I hear about something like the Quest. But it, I guess I, I don't know too much about the Quest, and I know that that was at, also at a cheaper price point. And also, I'm just for now, like, I actually have room to use VR in my house. I do just have to move the, as most people say, move the coffee table out of the way and push the couch back. I have enough room here to use a PSVR that I got for $150 a few years ago. That was a very easy decision to get that whole (laughs) setup for that cheap. And I played Resident Evil 7 with it and Super Hot. Me and you played Super Hot nonstop for two weeks. That was 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 very fun. Very fun. (laughs) Well, we took breaks eating candy for more energy because, God, that tires you out. Um, but I mean, so, and, and honestly, I'm just saying right now, that's all I need. The only reason I would consider getting anything else is Half-Life Alex. If that was on, if that worked on PSVR, I'd just use that. Um, r- right now, that about level is, I, I'm not really willing to spend 300 bucks and deal with things right now until I move into a new house where I don't have to move a coffee table out of the way, basically. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. There's your VR talk, people. There it is. Dan, I think, I think we should get into the news. 
Let's just jump into it after 19 minutes. Let's just do it, bro. All right. So story number one, RX 6700 XT reviews. AMD's 12 gigabyte RTX 3070 launches. And I put a little write-up here for this. So here we go. Though technically this will be recorded before reviews officially release, we feel confident at Moore's Law Z enough in our information that we can discuss the 6700 XT's performance ahead of time. Based on conversations behind the scenes with a few major tech channels that will not be named, here is what we can say now. The 6700 XT roughly matches the 3070 and 1440p, technically, although it is worth mentioning some of the channels we trust dearly say the 3070 actually won a little bit on average, even in 1440p. And in 4K, the 3070 seemed to win when not VRAM constrained, although it is sometimes VRAM constrained. Additionally, the 3070 and 3060 Ti win by a firm margin in ray tracing on average, but not always, again, not always. And the 6700 XT overclocks very well, just like its big Navi brethren. Although it is worth mentioning that Moore's Law is dead in his own 3070 testing, benefits quite a bit from memory overclocking itself. So... Anyways, overall, what we can say is this. The 6700 XT is arguably a slightly weaker card than the 3070 overall, but it does come with 50% more VRAM, and that does matter for cards this powerful, at least in our opinion. Furthermore, it overclocks a bit better, and so in our eyes, this is a very competitive product if priced between the 3070 and 3060 Ti. But will it? Based on conversations with distributors, Moore's Law is also confirming in this podcast that people can expect AIB models to generally cost between $550 and $630, with some of them costing a bit more than that. And I know this sounds bad, and it honestly is not good, but this does actually place it below the AIB pricing of most RTX 3070 models that currently sell for over $700 on average. Oh, and it mines at 40 to 50 mega hash, depending on if you tweak it. So I also included some links to other leaked reviews. Um, I don't know. I, I we're having we're recording this earlier, like I said in the write-up, but I, I we know the performance. If there's any surprises, I'll put out a video Wednesday or something. But I don't know, Dan. What do you think about the 6700 XT reviews that we're technically supposedly don't know about, but me and you already have seen them? Uh it, it so I think for the price of $480. Given the current market, I think it's a justified price. That's kind of what I've said, looking at the leaked benchmarks and knowing some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff we have already. I think the benefits that the 3070 has over the 6700 XT are kind of a wash. The 6700 XT has more RAM, so in some games it will do better in 4K because of that. In some games, the 3070 will do better in 4K because it's a slightly stronger card. Um... (laughs) At 1440p, based on this leaked review I'm looking at on WCCF Tech, it looks like the 6700 XT pretty much, not always wins, but generally wins in 1440p. Looks like the 3070 actually, oh wait, no, that's, uh, the 3070 obviously has better ray tracing performance. So if you care about that gimmick feature, it's it's, uh, something better to have. I mean, it's there. So I, I don't know. I think they're probably both going to settle around the same prices. Um, even though we're saying right now the AIB models are going to go up to six hundred, I won't or be surprised. More. Yeah, I won't be surprised if that drifts up to six fifty or seven hundred at a certain point. So 
my whole thing is if you can get one for 480 or even 550 even with, at this point. Yeah, even within 20% of MSRP, I would say. If you can get it for below 600 and you have like a Vega, I think what you're about to say is keep it and sell the Vega for the same price or more. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, it's kind of weird talking about this to an extent because I feel like this is kind of the exactly the card I was guessing it would be like mm-hmm. what when we were talking about it two weeks or a month ago or whenever we... We've, we've been talking about it for the past like four, five, six months. <laughs> no, I, I'm talking when it like became very... Like very it became very evident. We should, yeah, like in the past couple months, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I kind of feel like we're just reiterating what we said, except this time I'm getting rid of I think it will be. <laughs> mm. It's just kind of my same thoughts where, yeah, it's MSRP, $20 less, has four gigs more RAM. Pretty much a wash when it comes to the uh, strength of the GPU, but it gets worse ray tracing performance than the 3070 and 3060 Ti, I guess you have to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else there is really to say. And I think this episode will come out about a day after my RTX 3070 review, I think. And in that review, because so just so you know, Dan, I, I just finished the recordings, the scripts, the benchmarking. Most of the work's done. It just needs to all be edited together. So it's probably going to come out Monday, um, probably about at the same time or right before the Patreon version of this episode of Broken Silicon comes out. And in that review, I confirmed that I think the 3070 in its level of performance should be 450. I think, though, if they gave it 16 gigabit per second memory, which in my testing, memory overclocking gave it almost linear performance increases than 3070. <laughs> I mean, God, is it bandwidth starved. Like, if they would have just given it 16 gigabytes of 16 gigabit per second memory and the full die, 3070's cut down, everybody. If they gave it the full die, they could have had something within 10% of the 6800 and had a killer high-end card for 550. Um, but they didn't. And so when it has 8 gigabytes... And it's, you know, not really a high-end car, but stronger than everything below it, at least in raw performance at stock. I just feel like it's a $450 card. And if I think the 3070 is a $450 card, I think the 6700 XT is probably, a, should be the same price. But I don't know. I get, I, I don't, it's, it, it's just a crappy situation where you have to go, well, am I going to get rid of this 3070 or am I going to keep it and sell my Radeon 7 for two grand? And I think most people should try to get a hold of things for within 20% of MSRP and sell their previous Vegas and cards that can... I mean, I think even RX 580s are selling for like 400 now or 300. Sell them and get this, you know? It's unfortunate, but that's what I do think you should do. And if you have a card that's like good, strong and compute like your Radeon 7, I mean... Yeah, you could you could have gotten a thirty ninety for what you, like what you can sell a Radeon mm. seven for right uh, right now. So if that's what you're looking for, you can do that right now. I, uh, assuming you can get a hold of a thirty ninety, obviously, which I think that's one of the easier cards to get a hold of right now, though. It isn't is it? because Just it's so expensive. Because they're most so people. expensive. Yeah, which I don't feel like I want that level of performance. Well, I mean, I'd take it, but I just don't think it's worth it for doubling power usage. I think the 3070 is fine. And so, yeah, I mean, the people who call me a fanboy, guys, I just, I have an NVIDIA system now. (laughs) I don't care. I also do just want to highlight, though, quickly, looking at these benchmarks again, once again, from that WCCF Tech benchmark leak. It's like most of these games, the benchmarks are ray tracing, 
67 uh, in 1080p, they're getting less than 100 frames per second for a $700 card street price right now. Like this ray tracing just isn't there yet. And I think it's kind of a fake feature almost. Yeah. And, and, and especially at this price point. And as you'll know, that's the conclusion I came to at the 6800 XT review that I actually expected to be impressed by ray tracing. And I was overwhelmingly disappointed in every single game I tested. Yes, I tested control everybody. I just didn't play it enough to really make a big statement about it. it. I'm not impressed by it in control. I'm not impressed by it in Battlefield 5. It looks terrible in Battlefield 5, honestly, which was their showcase game, supposedly. I think it's worthless in Metro Exodus. I think it's worthless in everything but Minecraft, which I find in my RTX 3070 review works well with the 3070. So that is one thing. But that's all I can really say. I think DLSS is a much more real feature, and that's only in a handful of games. I really think ray tracing is just... Ray tracing is either overwhelmingly not worth a performance drop, or I'm being honest. I'm just... You don't have to agree with me, and good for you. But I'm just being honest. I really think it makes every game I played look worse besides Minecraft. It's just... You ready for this floor to have a low-resolution reflection that just makes the floor look blurry? You ready for this thing that was made out of metal to now look like it was chromed? For some reason, even though it's not a chrome piece of metal, like it's just vomiting chrome everywhere, lowering your performance and making things that should just have pre-baked lighting that looks good, which it, the pre-baked lighting and control looks great. You're just like, well, now here's a blurrier version of it, but it's more accurate, I guess. Who cares if it's more accurate? It looks like shit. Yeah, and then Miles Morales somehow miraculously yeah. has the, the this amazing ray tracing on a quote unquote weaker system. I don't well, know. And 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 that's because it required optimization and a really talented dev like Insomniac. I think Nerd Techgasm or someone looked into this where they I don't know if it was Nerd Techgasm, but shout out to that guy on Twitter. Um I know some people have looked into this and 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 found that there's a lot of evidence that imp- optimizations to RDNA2 that are probably coming can make ray tracing every bit as effective as on Ampere. And I think Miles Morales proves that. Yeah, I think it does if if it's optimized correctly. But yeah. But devs um, haven't put in, and that's what I want to say too, is I bet it could work better on Ampere and Turing as well. I just don't think devs are putting in the effort. I think they're just like, yep, we added it and it's blurry. I mean, God, look at um, Watch Dogs on the Xbox Series S. Like they insisted on putting ray tracing on this four teraflop console that, it just, it makes the puddles look horrible. Well, yeah, the, the Series S is going to be obsolete. Well, it, it's already obsolete. The Series S is going to be unusable in two years. But Well, I mean, you shouldn't shove ray tracing on it. I, I don't know if I'd yeah. say unusable. I would just say it's going to be a 720p console quicker than people think. But that's a bit off. Yeah, that's true. But um, as far as the 6700 XT, I think I, I, said, I said everything I have to say about it unless there's other things you want to call out about the 6700 xd no i mean look it's if it was 480 it's over 20 percent. it's like 30 percent stronger or whatever than the 5700 xt gives you 50 percent more ram brings ray tracing features that even though i think they're mostly gimmicks that the 5700 xt didn't have but using about the same energy as this 5700 xt for 20 percent more 
It's not worse than it used to be, but it's not usually going to sell for that much. And so it's like 480 would be okay, but like a begrudgingly accepted thing. Kind of like the RTX 2060 when it was 350 is like, okay, I guess it's better price performance than before, but it's still a six gigabyte card for 350. But it's kind of how I think of this now. Um, But at the same time, it's like if you can get one for close to MSRP and sell your Vega for 700, I think that's what you should do. And, you know, using the 3070, which is a similar level of performance, I mean, it's it it plays every game at 4K 60 like it's a joke, in my opinion, Um, except for the games that run out of RAM, of course, which you'll see in my review, everybody. (laughs) And yeah, I, I guess that was the thing I forgot to say is the reason I think some of these graphics cards right now are a compelling buy if you can get them reasonably close to MSRP is because you can sell some old graphics cards are selling for really exorbitant prices right now. And if you have one of those graphics cards, I think there's no reason to not sell it and buy a new one. Yep. I mean, if it, you might as well profit off of this by selling shovels to the miners. and my, They're not making that money back. and. Yeah. Again, that's a major focus of the last part of my 3070 review for all of those who haven't watched yet. Anyways, Matthew Salzberg writes in and he says, I guess my question is for Dan. What graphics card are you looking at as an upgrade from your Vega 56? I would say right now, what I w- I'm looking for is if they're available, like I just said, for some reasonably close to MSRP. I think I would go for a 6700 XT or maybe a 3060 if I could get that 3060 for cheap enough. And it's not really because it's much better than your card, but it is 12 gigabytes and it is probably, you know, it's about 5700 levels of performance. So, you know, that's probably like 20, 30% better than what you have. And it's like, hey, if you could get it for 350 even, I guess I'll take it. And now you could technically yeah. turn on ray tracing in a couple games. So you play, you could play Minecraft RTX, and I've tried it on the 2060. It works. So now I can play Minecraft and RTX, Dan. Which is, Minecraft ray trace is the ultimate feature I'm looking for. That's, that's all I really need, man. Although, again, I covered this in the 3070 review. They do limit the view distance to 24 chunks. Don't we usually play with like 64 or 80? Chunks? No, I don't think we play with that many views. Oh, oh no, we do... So- no, sometimes you do, especially if you're trying to get those really long view distances. Yeah. So you I guess, can't even I guess turn like 40 it 40 to 64. Yeah, you can't even turn it past 24. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a drawback. Yeah, so even then it's like, which is annoying because the performance was fine. I'm like, I'll take less performance so I can see over that mountain over there and see what's going on, bro. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Uh, but yeah, I think what you're saying is you'll take anything if you can get it for MSRP because you can sell your big at 56. Or even depending on the card, like within 20% of MSRP, like you said, like, I don't know if I could sell a Vega 56 for 550 or $600 or you something. You could probably sell it for 600 right now. Yeah. yeah. And then get a uh, 3060 for 400. I mean, I think that's a bit overpriced for what the 3060 is, but I still netted $200 on the transaction. Yeah. And, and me and you do both need, like, I, I even say in my 3070 review, I think people need to start considering, like, if they have a console lying around or a good gaming laptop, do you really need your desktop? Because maybe you just, I, I think scalper prices are about at an all-time high right now. And I believe Hardware Unboxed talked about that recently as well. It does seem like they're leveling out and even starting to decrease slowly. So if you have a card you can sell for one, two, three thousand dollars, and that money matters to you, and you don't need a desktop for work, I do and you do, Dan. So we can't just get rid of it. Um, 
Well, you know, it's worth considering just selling to make that money because I do think there's going to be opportunities in a few months to get other stuff a little easier. I don't think anything's going to be easy this year to get really, but I think things, I think we're at the peak of insanity right now, pretty much or close to it. Or I think we're, I think we're, we might be on, I don't know. It's hard to say. We're with like the consoles, we're definitely on the decline for that. But with the yeah, those prices are coming down for scalpers pretty fast. Yeah. So it's a matter of like, if you have a little bit of patience, you can usually, if you wait like two to three months, prices usually return to a semi reasonable level. I don't know if they're ever going to be completely reasonable this generation, but I don't think the 3070 is going to be selling for. What? How much are those selling for on eBay? Probably like twelve hundred dollars right now. Oh, like fourteen hundred. Okay, yeah. So I. So uh, yeah, I, if I get my hands on like a thirty eighty for MSRP, I guess I'll keep it and sell the thirty seventy because someone's willing to pay that much on eBay. Yeah, and I, I think the demand or the supply will hopefully at some point in the next couple months be, not be at a level where I mean we'll be at a level where that isn't happening anymore. Yeah. Well, Ike's writes in and he asks, when are AMD mobile GPUs coming? And I would just say, you know, the thing is they can't keep anything in stock right now. And I I, I know that mobile versions of Navi 22 are coming. And honestly, in an ideal world, AMD would like to launch mobile versions of Navi 21 because they can. I mean, undervolted, Navi 21 is crazy efficient. I'm sure they could launch a 100 watt version of like the 6800 and like, just dominate mobile performance. But unfortunately, I think they they believe they're better served, you know, selling it to the do-it-yourself market. And I agree with them. I, I have to assume some version of Navi 22 will come to laptop and certainly Navi 23. But outside of that, it's, it's hard to put a, uh, any estimate on new releases when nothing can be kept in stock. Yeah, so it's like I, if a OEM gives the, offers them a big contract, you'll see them at a decent level, but I, I don't think that any other, I, I don't think there's a reality where they're in a ton of laptops right now, unless that happens. Yeah. And you know what, Dan, speaking <laughs> of, if you're able to launch new graphics cards, let us move on to story number two about another rumored graphics card that has been held up for quite some time. Story number two, the RTX 3080 Ti rumors. Is it real this time? And I did a write-up for this too based on two tweets, one from Copite7Kimmy, one from Momomo. Links in the description. Although Moore's Law is dead has typically laughed off the constant 3080 Ti rumors we seem to get every week, this one feels a maybe bit more real, especially since it comes from leakers, Copite and Momomo, that have a very good track record on Ampere leaks. Although I believe Copite's been talking about this for a while. Something about this one to me feels more concrete. In summary, it seems like NVIDIA may launch a $1,000 12 gigabyte GA102 card to directly compete with the 6900 XT. It would simply be a 3090 performance card with less VRAM. And this makes more sense to this writer's opinion than it would to launch some 20 gigabyte version of GA102. 20 gigabytes would still use a 320-bit bus that would waste performance while giving people more RAM than they probably need. Why do that? unless you're going to refresh the entire lineup, at least in our opinion. Yes, it is rumored to come out in April, but at the end of the day, we have to encourage people listening to remember that NVIDIA could have launched this months ago, even though you probably still couldn't get it, and could still decide to wait for a release. So 
I, we've been getting 3080 Ti rumors forever. You know, 20 gigabytes to me always seemed weird. I don't know why you wouldn't go with either 22 gigabytes, so you almost have the full bus and a bunch of RAM, or 12 gigabytes, so you have the full bus there for the full performance. That's really what I expect it to be. And that is what makes me like this rumor more than before. And actually, I did reach out to a couple of sources um, before we started recording. And I do, I have been told that this time it could be real, that they're still not 100% sure, which I find bizarre, that they could launch a product in April and not be 100% sure if it's really launching. But part of the information is that it will be very low volume if it launches in April. So I guess that makes sense. Um, it, the point is this, the reason I'm covering 3080 Ti rumors this week is that there really does seem to be some fire to the smoke this time. Yeah, and I, I was looking, I, I think I actually assumed uh, that the rumors were contradicting each other because if you like look at the Momomo uh, link, it's in Japanese, of course, and it says 20 gigabytes, but the weird, con- the weird uh, Google Translate I just did makes me think it's saying... That it's not 20 gigabytes. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we'll see. And I guess... It I, mean, is, I can't so, confirm 100% the configuration, but 12 gigabytes makes a lot more sense to me and the people I've talked to. So what, 12 gigabytes with like a 384-bit bus? And would it be the full die? That Well, we don't know. But I would assume a couple of SMs less than the 3090. I would assume it's not the same amount of SMs. Although, let's be honest, it could be the full SMs. Although, I don't know why they would do that. It probably, it'd probably be best to partially disable it and just reserve the best dies only for A6000. Yeah, so I guess if it sells for $1,000, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if that's a good price point for it, but... It, people will buy it, I guess. So maybe it is. I mean, it's going to be about the same performance as a 6900 XT. Well, not overclocking as well. Although the memory should overclock better than the 3090 because they'll have less memory. Less memory is easier to overclock. But, you know, I, I don't know. If it was, again, at the end of the day, what I think is the 6800 XT, I just said it should be sub 700, which means the 6900 XT and 3090 are really vanity cards that you don't need the extra 5, 10% performance. Where this should be priced, I don't know. It doesn't have 16 gigabytes, so it's not as comfortable in how much RAM it has, but 12 gigabytes is definitely enough. I don't know. You ask me, it should probably be an $800 card, but $1,000, they'll get away with it easily, especially when the 2080 Ti sold basically for $1,300 its whole life. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I just want to... S- if this is coming out, if it's just a 12 gigabyte 38, 384-bit bus, essentially 3080... 3090. I, I, well, they're both close to each other, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true, I guess. I just feel like the $1,000 price point doesn't necessarily warrant the increase, but nothing. It, it's borderlining a vanity card at this point, too, the 3080 Ti would be. I, I mean, I mean, you're looking at the one thing that would make it worth it to me is just again, if you can get it a founder's one for MSRP. This is what yeah. AIB 3080s and 16800XTs are selling for, anyways. And I do think 10 gigabytes isn't enough, but 12 gigabytes. But people need to understand. Yeah, people need to understand is that devs have been programming around 11 and 12 gigabytes since Titan Maxwell. Like this is how long they plan games to use that much memory and. You're just going to run into games if you're using 10 gigabytes of RAM that it, where it runs out, or there's slight performance losses or weird frame drops while moving between areas. This is what I've seen with the 3070 with eight gigabytes. I'm sure it, 
I'm plenty of games, and it's not guys. It's not just allocation; it's actually usage. Um, and it is also worth mentioning that if you have only 16 gigabytes of DDR in your system, that you're going to use up a lot. You, you might run out of RAM easier with 10 gigabytes as well, because they'll cache more of it in the DDR to swap it out quickly. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's worth pointing out as well. Is when I have my Radeon Seven. There's actually less memory allocation in most games. Uh, or there's more memory allocation in it, but it's not just because, you know, oh, it doesn't need it. It's because they'd rather put it on the graphics card if there's room than cache it in the DDR. So mm-hmm. I really think 12 gigabytes is a major selling point. I'll say that over 10, because tw- 10 is just such an awkward number. There's no other 10 gigabyte cards. Devs have been planning for 11 and 12 gigabytes, not 10. Well, and the second I saw the 3080, I thought it should have been at least 12 gigabytes of RAM. 10, 10 was a terrible number to settle on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I it, It's hard to say because it's so awkward. I, I just, again, can't help but feel like NVIDIA should have launched the full die of GA104 with 16 gigabytes and called that the 3080 for 600 and then launched some 20 gigabyte or something version of the 3080 uh, and then called it the 3090 or, or 3080. 3080 Ti or something. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. I'm getting confused while I talk. Yeah. And then make the 3080 Ti like a 22 gigabyte card for 1200. Like just, like, I don't know why they didn't do that. This weird awkwardness where the 3060 has more RAM than everything but the 3080 Ti. Uh, but this is what they're doing. So the 12 gigabytes matters. Again, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, and as of right now, the only card that has more than the 3060 Ti in their lineup is the... <laughs> 3090, but yeah, it's just... 3060, you mean not 3060 Yeah, 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 3060, sorry. But yeah, it's just a bizarre, weird-looking lineup, and I don't know if they release the 3080 Ti, and I guess I don't know if they'll, like, transition the 3080 out of production. See, that's what I want to know, is, like, what's the point in launching this graphics card if you can't keep stock available? And the only thing I'm forced to conclude is they'll probably massively reduce production of the 3080 and prioritize 3080 Ti and keep it at a thousand, which will have much higher margins on it too. At a thousand dollars, it costs it'll cost like an extra twenty bucks to make a 3080 Ti versus a 3080. By the way, guys, like yeah, yeah, yeah maybe literally just an extra twenty bucks. So they might as well do it and sell it for a thousand because everyone's willing to pay that much for that level of performance, and uh, then just kind of phase out the 3080. I mean, that's basically what they did. With with the 2060 Super and 2070 Super over the 2060 and the 3060 and and the 2070, they kind well, of phase out the 2070 basically. Yeah, they did. Well, and the Super lineup was a weird thing because I think they then subsequently went on to phase out Supers in favor of the originals, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, I I, I think at least the thought is they would phase out if this comes out. I uh, of course the 3080 Ti would phase out the 3080. And I don't know if sales plummeted after that. Maybe they would retransition to making 3080s again. So in summary, though, there's smoke to this. There's really is fire to the smoke. NVIDIA is, I can't promise it's coming out. No one's 100% sure still. But at the very least, they are very, there's a very, very decent chance it will launch in April. But it will be a paper launch. There will be no volume. And I assume they will phase out the 3080 prioritize the 3080 Ti over time and volume into May. That, yeah. And it's just going to be a 12 gigabyte 3090. If you can get it for a near MSRP, I don't know, maybe you'll be able to sell for $2,000 on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Pro- probably. 
you probably will be able to. Metal Shark writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, Jay's Two Cents demoed clock steps that have twice the precision on the 3060 compared with other Ampere cards. 7.5 megahertz steps instead of 15 megahertz. And he said he thought it was a double precision with voltage too when asked later on Twitter. Here's the source. Is this something we can expect to see brought to other Ampere cards with this month's VBIOS update for Resizable Bar? I mean, what I would say is I haven't looked into this much, so I'm not an expert. But if that is true in the 3060, I know the GA106 was finished validation after 102 and 104. So it wouldn't surprise me if there were a couple of little tweaks in there that they didn't have in the uh, cards that launched first. In other words, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a revision of silicon that had that. And it's not at the BIOS level. Although it could be, and there could be bi- silicon revisions, there are usually, that will come out for GA102 and 104 as well that might have this. So basically what I'm saying is, I don't know, but don't rule out it's a silicon thing, a BIOS thing, or neither. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hottest topic people want to know about, megahertz stepping between different Ampere cards. We should do a whole podcast about it for three hours. Oh yeah, people would love to hear 7.5 megahertz instead of 15. Oh, yeah, bro. Seven Nanometer writes in and he says, Hello, Tom and Dan. AMD and NVIDIA are pushing the power usages of their current-gen GPUs, not to mention that Intel has been pushing power usage as well for their recent lineups of CPUs. With the information you've received thus far, can you speculate what we can expect with the upcoming products, RDNA 3 and Hopper? Do you reckon power usages will go down, remain the same, or God forbid, be pushed even further? And honestly, I, uh, my answer is I expect AMD to push 350 watts with some version of RDNA 3. We've already demonstrated there's a market for 350 watt 3090s. And I know for a fact AMD wants the performance crown with RDNA 3. So unless there's some reason they can't push per power that much, I do expect AMD to push per for, uh, power usage higher. And if they can cool it with a liquid-cooled version, wouldn't surprise me if they push it to 400 watts. I mean, there's 400 watt A100. Uh, yeah, I I mean, if you can push power usage further to get more performance, and there's a market for that, they're going to push it for, forward more because, frankly, I think what this has proven is the market is willing to spend $2,000 on a card. So if AMD can, I don't know, use 50% mm. more energy on a graphics card and get, get that money, yeah, and get that thing 40% stronger or something, they'll do it. Uh, it's just good, a good business decision if they can do it effectively. Yeah. yeah. And, and then because AMD will probably try, I bet NVIDIA does as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let us move on to story number three. Hardware in Box investigates massive CPU bottlenecks on NVIDIA Ampere. And let me see here. I have a little write-up. So links in the description. This video I thought was actually very interesting. Um, Though Moore's Law is Dead does not typically cover one-off testing videos as a news story, this one merits a bit of discussion in these hosts' opinions. It seems if you do not have one of the best PCIe Gen 4 CPUs, you have no business owning something above a RTX 3070 from Team Green, at least if you play DX12 games. In short, NVIDIA seems to have a massive CPU overhead problem in their current DX12 and Vulkan drivers that massively holds back performance in some games by double digits. As of now, we cannot promise the situation will get worse with upcoming titles, but it should be concerning to think that at least right now, high-end NVIDIA GPUs make less sense than they could to people without a Zen 3 or Rocket-like CPU. 
This directly explains some of the odd performance of Ampere in 1440p and 1080p, at least in DX12 games. Perhaps Ampere wouldn't be as horrible in 1440p if its drivers had less overhead. In many ways, this could also explain sorry, the, 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 the and this would also explain the relative performance of these resolutions. The final thing that's worth mentioning is that AMD has had this issue with DX11 titles before, although it was never this bad as far as we can tell. So, yeah, what I would say is, based on what I saw, it looks like um, it looks like the 3070 is. Uh, it, it appears that it's CPU bound on pretty much every CPU, even up to like 1440p in a lot of games. Is the mm-hmm. way I would quickly summarize it. But it should Whereas, be okay in 4K and generally in 1440p. Generally in 1440p, yeah. But like, if you look at Horizon Zero Dawn's benchmarks, I mean. On ultimate quality, the 3070 gets 100, fr- sorry, 100 frames per second on the 5600X. Uh, and on the 1600X, it gets 84 frames per second. And if you're looking at that same, the 6800, it's generally the same uh, performance on the 6800 until you get to like the 6600X, where it drops from 115 to 107 frames per second. So I think this basic summary is the <laughs> if you don't have a 5600x or better and you're not playing in 4k the th- cpu is going to majorly limit the 3070 where it wouldn't limit something like the 6800 and the, the, yeah and the way i would summarize it is with the rtx 3070 and horizon zero dawn you get the same performance as a 5700 xt unless you're using yeah. zen 3 yes and that's very bad bad yeah and then i and then i was like looking at these watchdog legions benchmarks and part of me i didn't really even want to talk about the watchdog legion (laughs) Legion who plays that no offense to people who like it but no but it was so stupid like the performance the performance was insane and i guess i guess maybe that's just very good in general jeez like i think in some conditions the 3070 was Literally, ma- like frame per frame matching the 3090 with certain configurations. Yeah, but I'm seeing that now. Looking at it, that it, that game just doesn't look like it utilizes CPUs very well in general, though. Based mm-hmm. on what I've looked at, but I don't know. It seems like Horizon Zero Dawn is a better, <laughs> uh, from what uh, hardware unboxed, but out is a better thing to analyze. And yeah, it, I would say like if you have an i3, you really probably should be thinking about upgrading your CPU before getting a 3070, but I, I, <laughs> I think that, yeah, I don't think I, I think, I think the way I would phrase this whole situation is we, I feel like we had to bring it up because this is way more than before. I remember with the 7,000 series from AMD HD 7,000, they demonstrated if you don't have like an i5, if you basically, if you have bulldozer or pile driver, which had way less IPC than even, you know, like an Intel, I well, yeah, all of Intel's yeah, all the same IPC, right? Like if you had something that wasn't the latest IPC, you could see like 10% performance losses compared to NVIDIA in DirectX 11. This is like way more than that. And it's yeah. kind of like a public service announcement of, I don't think we need to talk about i3s because who has an i3 who's getting a 3070? But I do think we need to talk about people who have like a fifth, a, a 3600. Or yeah, a 3600X. Like, 
A you're going to get people have that, and then we'll want to get a 3070. And even a 3060 seems like it could be held back in some games. Yeah, and it, I think that's completely reasonable. It, you got a, you got a mid-range CPU last year, and you're looking to upgrade your GPU to a mid-range GPU. I think that's a perfectly reasonable upgrade path that a lot of people would take. And just know if you're doing that, it, at least where it stands right now, you're going to get a pretty big loss in performance because the thir- uh, Ampere is specifically CP- more CPU bound for one reason or another than uh, uh, RDNA 2 is. And and Steve from Hardware Box did put out an update where he says it does seem to be a DirectX 12 issue. And AMD okay. has a bit of an issue in DirectX 11, but that this is still way more drastic for NVIDIA and DirectX 12 versus the other. And more drastic yeah. than I think we've seen in anything before. So I'm just, again, saying, like, guys, like, I don't... It's worth mentioning that, yes, Zen 3 has absurdly high IPC and higher clock speeds than before, so that makes up for it to a certain extent. But I bet there's a lot of people who have like a 3900X and bought a 3080. And if you did, it's kneecapped in 1440p. Yeah, so (laughs) I, I think that's important to highlight for people that are thinking about upgrading at least do your due diligence, do your research to make sure that it to make sure that this isn't an issue that expands across a bunch of different games. And you know, maybe BIOS updates, I mean not BIOS updates, maybe driver updates over time will mitigate this issue. But I, I assume it, so, but this does explain a little bit of my 3070 testing. You remember me saying while we were playing like Deep oh, Black yeah, Galactic yeah. and Battlefield? Like I think it's worth just doing full resolution scale and keeping it around a hundred because it doesn't seem to be able to hold 120 hertz. Yeah, that I <laughs> I guess you just don't assume that uh, that you're going to have that issue at 1440 or 4K at this point because those issues always start to arise or they used to at 1080p. Right, but there's plenty of games that I don't think are that hard to run in 4K, especially with the 3070 I have now. Yeah, that well, there are plenty of games, yeah, especially there's plenty of games on that are e- easy to run on the Radeon 7 or the other Vega cards. It's it's not inc- incredibly hard to run 4K in general, in my opinion. But and I do have to wonder, like, how many people like have a 3060 and want to play, or want to buy a 3060 and game at like 200 hertz in an esports title in 1080p? Probably a lot of people, and they just might not be able to. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so I don't know. This is a major problem. Uh, like, really, this is. And again, guys, this is not like dunking on nvidia or anything it's like i i have a 3070 now so i'm like this is a problem it does i won't really affect me but it almost does and i'm not at the cutting edge usually trying to get to the highest performance and the fact that it affects me this is something they really need to solve and i'm sorry when i look at this i'm like i just it's very hard for me to think of how you can recommend like a 3090 or a 3080 to most people over the 6800 xt this like it, it overclocks better it performs better in rasterization in the overwhelming majority of scenarios for people and now we know that you can't even game at high refresh rates with the 3080 in a lot of title in some titles and direct 12 unless you have a god cpu which you shouldn't yeah. need a god cpu for a 700 maybe for the 3090 but that still doesn't that still means it's limiting performance to a certain degree and hardware and box pointed out like if they don't fix this soon enough like what happens when cpu requirements go up and then in future games it's just kneecapped to an even lower resolution in the latest game i mean lower frame rate in the latest games yeah i guess that's true and i i think the top cpu they they uh 
tested was with a what was the 5600x so that's not that's not a god cpu but i guess i don't know how i don't i guess i don't know if that you'll get e- even more astronomically better frame rates if you have like a 5950x or or xt or something like that yeah Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. All right, let us move on to story number four. Moore's Law's Dead leaks 40-core Ice Lake DG2 progress and ambitious future Xeons from Intel. And here's a little write-up I put together. Again, videos in the description. And actually, there's another article that came out that backs up what I leaked. Um, mm-hmm. On March 11th, yours truly leaked the following. ZHBG progress. Nothing has changed from Moore's Law's Dead's October 2020 leak overall, stating that a 3070 killer that consumes around 200 watts and comes with 16 gigabytes is the plan and coming from Intel eventually. The only notable thing is that it is highly unlikely to come out before quarter four 2021 in any real volume. Furthermore, the 40-core Ice Lake is undergoing validation and will likely launch to at least special Intel customers with very good things being said about it by multiple sources. Dual socket 40-core Ice Lake systems could be very real competition in many scenarios, especially when you consider that they tend to license per core now for uh, licensing costs. So that could be competitive with Zen 3 uh, servers as well for some customers. Finally, the most eye-catching part of Tom's leak was Intel is looking into a variant of Sapphire Rapids that removes a Golden Cove tile, one out of four as far as we're aware right now for the top model, in favor of adding a Z compute tile. Sapphire Rapids already has on-die HBM2E. This could be an incredible enterprise APU, although it must be stressed. Tom is not confirming this APU will come out anytime soon with Sapphire Rapids. But it is clear this is a type of product Intel wants to launch within a few years. And that is an interesting development that shows Intel's planning to attempt to meet AMD's heterogeneous computing plans, possibly around when AMD fulfills them. And that's the point, is I saw some people going like, well, it'll be 96 core Zen 4. It's not going to kill them. No, my video said AMD should worry. Not that Intel kills AMD in a year. Not I say the opposite in that video. The point, though, is that Intel clearly isn't thinking small time anymore and that they're looking to make some very innovative products. You look at that, you look at Ponte Vecchio, 
I feel like we may have a resurgent Intel in a few years. Or in servers, not necessarily resurgent, but they'll be holding on to what they had more uh, strongly than they might have at one point. Like maybe mm. with stuff like this coming out, it, uh, a data center that needs to upgrade soon, maybe they'll decide to continue sticking with Intel rather than spending that extra cost of renovating their system and moving to uh, an Epic-based system instead. Yeah. So I guess another thing to mention is, again, links in the description, but it's funny. A day after that leak came out, Raja tweeted a picture of him next to them testing Z cards <laughs> that showed performance on screen. Of course, this would have been intentional that they let this leak yes. from them. Yes. That showed it beating a 3070 in 3D Mark Fire, if I'm reading this correctly. So, I, I mean, that completely aligns with what... Whenever the oh, you said in the right up that October leak you talked about where yeah, you know, it looks like it might continue to line up. It might it might be at least a high-end card. Which only if it launched in quarter three. And I highly suspect it will not launch effectively, at least in quarter three. <laughs> I, I I think what we're really this is really going to be a good price performance at best. I I guess we'll see. Uh, mid-range car because what people need to remember is that if this comes out in quarter four well what then we're like three four months away from rdna3's launch um we'll probably fully know the performance of that and we'll probably have some kind of ampere refresh coming out from nvidia that could be 30 percent better or something like there this could totally plausibly launch next to a new generation from nvidia and amd and so being near a 3080 in performance with 16 gigabytes of ram at 200 watts Look, that that will be very good at $400 even then, but I don't think this will be super high-end. But I, again, I think this could really bring competition to the mid-range that seems to be being completely abandoned by NVIDIA and AMD right now. I, we really need this, I think. Yeah, but uh, we need it sooner rather than later because if it comes out in Q, yeah. uh, quarter four of 2021, all right, so let's say a, a, a NVIDIA comes out with an Ampere refresher uh, whatever comes out after Ampere. I don't know. Is it Hopper? Is that Hopper what, or are, are we still assuming Hopper? You know. One of them, yeah. Um, but let's Darwin, say... Uh, I'd like them to call it Darwin. I think they may have already <laughs> had that. No, probably not. Go on. But but let's say, I don't know, Ampere 2 comes out or Hopper comes out and they've uh, NVIDIA has gotten the power use somewhat under control. So what, they launched a 3080 for 200 watts alongside a 3082 for, that has a uses 200 watts. It might not be that impressive, depending on when it comes out. Yeah, and I guess the last thing that I will say about this is the fact that it uses TSMC, whether six or seven nanometer, everyone seems yeah. very sure it's not five, for now at least, um, is that I'm not sure how much this helps capacity. Like RDNA 3 should use five nanometer or maybe six, so I assume it won't necessarily use the same node, maybe as AMD, but it's still coming from TSMC. You know, it's just like when people are like, well, Intel's got all this 14 nanometer capacity. It's like, kind of, they're converting a lot of it to 10 nanometer now. So a lot of the seven nanometer product lines will start to be converted to five. Coming from TSMC is coming from TSMC. So I, yeah. I, 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 I with the current capacity constraints, I'm not really sure how much it will help, right, for this to launch overall. But I, it has to help some if they can at least anchor the price to $400. I, I mean, it might not help that much with availability, but it could overall help with pricing, which I don't know. 
I, I guess that's also assuming, I think you talked about that in the Adored episode. That's also assuming Intel would launch a <laughs> product at a good price, which I don't know, to buy their way into the market, I feel like they would have to do it somewhat competitively, but maybe I'm wrong. I think there's a misconception about Intel and prices. I think people think Intel over always overcharges, and that's just not true. Intel just never wants to lower the prices on a previous product. Mm-hmm. They would rather have a new lineup come out, give it the same nomenclature, you know, 10700K replaced by 1100, 11700K at the same price. It's not about overcharging. They just don't want to be perceived to drop the price on a certain level of SKU ever because then they know it might be hard to get back up to the previous price point. This is, yeah. I've talked about this agnosium about Turing establishing the $800 price point for the 80 and they want to keep it there forever. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a good point. So, And you saying they've never launched, people saying they've never launched things for a reasonable price. I mean, I don't know, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, I would say they all of that stuff was launched at a reasonable price. Like, And the Halem versus Phenom, too. Things were more than reasonably priced. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, everything back up until, up until Zen made their price points look stupid, really. Their prices were reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess in summary, the last thing I will just say is that at this point, based on the information I have, I do think ZDG2 is probably going to launch. I still can't promise it, but I think it will, at least in terms of some Vega Frontier release near the end of this year, and then probably a at least revision that comes out early next year. Some kind of card. I think it is coming, people. Can't promise it'll be great, but I think it can be at least be okay and at least launch to some degree. Although, again, not 100% sure. I mean, it does seem yeah. like 40 core versions of Ice Lake, which there's always been that the full die was about 40 cores. We never knew if they'd be able to yield well enough to give the full dies to some people, but it seems like they will. So that's good news. It's good news, good news. And the final thing, Sapphire Rapids APUs. Guys, I, I think I saw one article say in, Intel has a Zen 4 killer coming, and it's like, that's not what I said. <laughs> what I said, though, <laughs> is that Intel is testing out this type of a product. And I want to be very clear. Not everyone of my Intel sources has heard of this, so this isn't widespread. Yeah. And so, what else is there? I've also heard confirmation that there is the 256 execution unit version of DG2, and then there's 512. I know that there's rumors of a 384 one. I'm just saying what I've been told. I, I know of the 256 and 512 officially from several sources. So I think at least those two versions will come out. Yeah, and I think hearing... Uh, Inkling or hearing talk or chatter of uh, things other than the 512 execution units. One, I think bodes a little well that there might be a real lineup, but maybe I'm just being hopeful. Yeah, a 256 and a 128 bit die. Oh, okay. And 384 is the rumored 192. You have to assume they're testing all of this, though, guys. I know 512 is happening. I just don't know which of the lower SKUs they'll decide to also make. Just like they tried all different types of stuff with Big Navi, guys. Well, yeah, I don't think I, I doubt it will be smart. Would be smart for them to launch a one twenty eight, two fifty six, one ninety two, three eighty four, and five hundred twelve <laughs> execution unit SKUs. That would be that would be a lot of dies. Speaking of a lot of dies that aren't going to be a good launch, <laughs> let us move on. Dan, you love that segue. Let us move on to story number five: Intel Rocket Lake Core i seven and Core i nine leaks. We've got good news and bad news. Quoting from tomsguide.com, 
Unfortunately, not all of the news for Intel is good on Rocket Lake. The Core i7-11700K 600 score on the single-threaded test comes up short of the Ryzen 7 5800X and the Ryzen 9 5950X. They get 622 and 633, respectively. Then on the multi-threaded versions, the i7-11700K netted a 5,749-point score, lower than not just the 5800X and 5900X, but also the 10th Gen i9-10900K multi-threaded score as well. All that said, take these early scores and numbers as a preview, not a verdict. As WCCF text is in Perzada notes, the final variant could potentially be better than this, but unlikely to be worse, as Intel could push these processors harder. So, in summary, Rocket Lake should meet Zen 3 in gaming performance, but numerous leaks suggest it could actually fall behind slightly on average. I, again, I've been saying this forever. It would not surprise me if some Rocket Lake reviews found um, the, it overall gamed worse than the, some Zen 3 processors. Um, while consuming vastly more energy on an inferior and expensive platform. Um, I included this just because everyone's talking about it right now, but I, but uh, honestly, guys, why is this surprising anyone? This has been consistently, at least what we've leaked about Rocket Lake for about a year now. I don't know why anyone would have expected any other outcome for Rocket Lake. Uh, I, I, I do just want to say, I, the Tom's Guide title is We've Got Good News and Bad News. To me, what I just read is we've got bad news and bad news, but it's not, but, but don't worry. It can't be worse than this. <laughs> I guess is that is the good news. It can't be worse than this. I mean, the only thing you can say is if pricing comes drops, which it is interesting to see Comet Lake CPUs are drifting below MSRP. If the, And I think, again, this is something we've discussed a million times. If the i7-11700K, which will clock worse than the 11900K is what we're hearing, like notably worse, but if that 8-core can drift to close to 350, it's a viable alternative to a Zen 3 CPU if it's not in stock. At least it has Gen 4 PCIe support, you know, although not as many SSDs are supported on the platform. Yeah, but the th I guess what I would say is there, get, if both are available, there's no reason to get the i7. No, <laughs> not, and, and I don't know why people are like, you know, oh, you know, why? And this just brings us all the way back to why did they charge 450 for the 5800X? It's because AMD knew they'd have the crown for about a year. The best Intel would do is tie them while using double the energy. Uh, and it looks like Intel is going to charge five to $600 for their i9 that matches the 5800X. That AMD's cheaper, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, so if they can charge 350 for that, I, I guess they have an eight core that will probably get a bit worse performance for less money. So, okay, that that is the minimum to being a pro, to being worth buying, and I don't think they're going to hit that uh, target. So, I don't really know what to say. It doesn't seem like it's worth buying these. Yeah, I mean that's really all I have to say. I I, I brought it up because everyone's talking about it. I don't have a lot to say about Rocket. Like I don't think it will be good. I'm sure some reviews will find it games a little better than Zen Three, but some will find that it games worse. And it's multi-threading is it? Look, they're going from ten to eight cores. Well, apparently having a bigger die size than Comet, like from what I've seen as well. So, it yeah, no, not great. You know, they need Alder like as soon as possible. Yeah. Story number six, NVIDIA to stop Switch's SoC production this year. Game Reactor was told 
So quoting from them, news and rumors about the next Nintendo Switch iteration have been developing quickly following Bloomberg's report on a deal between Nintendo and Samsung on rigid OLED panels. While checking the veracity of these rumors, a person with knowledge in the matter told Game Reactor that NVIDIA is halting production of the system on a chip powering Nintendo Switch this year. Both the regular model and the smaller and cheaper Switch Lite feature that that features the latest version of NVIDIA's Tegra X1 Mariko. The source told Game Reactor that NVIDIA plans to stop producing the processor in 2021, but did not elaborate further on what comes next or what may happen with the current versions of the hardware. The statement aligns with the rumor floating on social networks and forums about Nintendo's introduction of a new Switch model later this year. Ex-Kotaku uh, Emran Khan wrote on Reset Era, Expect this thing to be primarily for FPS boost and resolutions, not really a Switch 2. Think more pro than super. He was expecting the leak as there's enough people with dev kits already, according to him. Another regular leaker known as Nate Drake added in the same forum thread that there will be some select exclusives, especially from third-party partners, but maybe not the big number of them, but I know of at least one that will be exclusive to the new version. In February, Nintendo's global president, Shantaru... Farukawa said that there is no plan for new console announcements soon in a conference call. And people noticed that was quite a different wording from the year before, where he plainly denied a new Nintendo Switch was coming in 2020. So yeah, this directly indicates to me at least that they're launching a new Switch Pro at least this year. From the reporting, I would say I'm a little disappointed if it wasn't a fully upgraded one, but I don't know. It's hard to say what their plans really were, really are. They're kind of creating this new ecosystem moving forward. It wouldn't surprise me if there was just rolling compatibility over time where it's like, well, this game's 480p on the original Switch. This game just can't run on the original Switch because its CPU is too weak. And I don't know. What do you think of all of this? I hope they don't do it like that because I think that will be one very confusing for buyers. I mean, I guess I, I, I guess there was kind of like that with the Game Boy, or at least that's just my memory of what it was kind of like with the Game Boy. Maybe Game because Boy I just in well, yeah, not really. Not, or maybe it's just because I was a dumb kid back then. Yeah, that's probably I looked part it up it. Um, a while ago, and it is quite different. That you're right, though. When I was little, like looking at the different versions of Game Boys, it. Right, you know, I was like, "What does this version really do?" Because I still mostly like on a Game Boy Advance, just played Game Boy games. <laughs> yeah, that's what most people did. But um, I, I guess I don't know what this indicates. Really, I think uh, either it means they're they need to get a new SOC and they're not completely stopping Tegra. This is just a this. They're just stopping production of this specific SOC. They're going to buy a new upgraded SOC or if they're completely planning on stopping Tegra production, I mean, Nintendo's hands are kind of tied. They kind of have to, have to make a new, a new console. Yeah. yeah, they have to make a new console if that's Well, true. there's been newer versions of Tegra, I believe, or similar types of SOCs with ARM plus GPUs on it. I know there was a Volta version and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and I, I looked into this a little bit to make sure that this wasn't just a like one-to-one -one repeat of a story that happened last year where they had to upgrade their SOC from uh, the Aresta, the Aresta SOC to the Mariko SOC. Mm -hmm. So what they're specifically saying is they're stopping production of the Mariko SOC, I believe. So it could just be there's another upgrade in the works and maybe we'll get 
a Nintendo Switch Pro in 2021, and they'll be able to keep producing a weaker Nintendo Switch for the next couple of years. But if they if they are just not supplying these SOCs completely anymore, Nintendo needs to make a new console. Yeah, when I look around, of course, there was the Maxwell Tegra, a Pascal Tegra. And I'm looking here. I'll put this as a link in the description. I'm seeing a Volta Tegra, like I already mentioned. I just remembered that. But I don't... Oh, and then there's Orin coming out that has Ampere. Oh, so they could be moving to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if they move to something like that, I think that would necessitate like a full mm-hmm. uh, calling it a new thing, like calling it the Switch Two or something. Not just, or I don't know. Nintendo doesn't seem to like doing that because this would be because two thousand uh, Ampere Cuda cores versus two fifty six Maxwell cores. If it used Orin, <laughs> I doubt it's using that. Then if if uh, they're using that'd be like way stronger. Yeah, this is Xavier's five hundred and twelve Volta. Good, of course. I mean, if we're looking at how they've upgraded upgraded in the past, I could almost see them doing that this year. Yeah, that's what I would say is I wouldn't assume going with the newest. Oh, yeah, and it has 10 times the bandwidth moving to Ampere. Oh, what a surprise. Almost 10 times the cores and 10 times the bandwidth to go with it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, they said they were working with Samsung on the OLED panel, though. Yeah, I don't know. I I, yeah. I would say it would be certainly interesting if they went with some Ampere version that's you know like five, ten times stronger. I don't know if they will, though. I, I don't think they will. I think Nintendo has decided that they, they have up a two thousand Ampere cores. That's like two thirds as powerful as a thirty sixty. If they did that, they could definitely have something. I don't know, somewhat close to an Xbox Series S, which I put in the notes here, is what I want them to do. I want something close to an Xbox Series S in performance so that you can truly have net with an SSD in it for true next-gen gaming on the go. It'll be weaker, but I, I see no reason why... Remember, the Series S launched in 2020, late 2021. I see no reason why they can't make something if the Series S uses like whatever it is, right? Like 50 watts or something. Why they can't make some version that's almost as strong with the latest tech a year later that gets to around 20 watts. They could they could almost give you that in a handheld. They probably could, but I do wonder if they would want to charge something like 200, or not 200, really? like $400 for that at that point. If it's a mobile platform Mm -hmm. something that strong that might be four hundred dollars which i think i feel like nintendo wants to stick to like the three hundred dollar price point going forward But i just feel like they've got to think long term the series i don't know how popular the series s really is and and i mean that literally i don't know but relative to the series x or ps5 but what i will say is it's going to be at least forced on developers by microsoft to support that level of raster performance for even mm-hmm. if it's 720p on the Series S, and because I think they were talking about how an upgraded version, which we'll get to as a minor story, of Metro Exodus is targeting 4K60 on Series X and hopefully near 1080p on the Series S. So if it was weaker than that, maybe it'd just be 720p. But this level of performance, this is my problem with how Nintendo's designed their consoles for the past, I don't know, a while now. But anything after the ever, like, after the GameCube. Like since the GameCube, yeah. The GameCube was pretty powerful for its time. But after that, I just feel like if Nintendo put that little bit extra in there, just eat a little bit more cost, they could make something that keeps up with their next gen, with the Sony and Play and X and Microsoft brethren. Like if 
for example, if the Wii U, I don't remember how much RAM that had. I think it had like two gigabytes or something. Like if that would have had four gigabytes and been a little stronger, which they had got a nerf power PC CPU. I think, I think again, bringing up 4A games from Metro, they said last like couldn't run on it ultimately because its CPU was just clocked too slow. Like, you know, I, I just feel like if they would have just gone that little extra with the Switch, given it that little more RAM, a little stronger, gone with Pascal instead of Maxwell in their SOC, which they could have, by the way, guys. Don't make no mistake about that. They decided <laughs> not to. They could have had a Switch that's like 50% stronger and can run PS4 games. Why not do that? Why not make something that's close to the same level of performance as a Series S so that there's no, oh, we got a 30 hertz version of Doom on it? No. Make it so all third-party games go on there. The Switch is selling really well. Just make it a little better. Make Remove the bottlenecks required and sell something that gets all third-party games. And this will sell even more like hotcakes to the hardcore gamers. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I kind of feel like, to an extent, Nintendo's going for a, di- a new strategy. I don't know if they care. It seems but to me like they want... There's old- always more money to be made. That's what it frustrates me. I think they've decided they want an ultra curated library where only exactly what they want goes on it. I mean, that's just a it, it's just a shame because it could be so much more if they just pushed it that little further. I don't disagree. <laughs> I, I I'm not saying I agree with the strategy. I'm saying I think that's what they're doing. I, I really don't know though. I, I or they're just ultra pro- profit focus on focused right now on every single thing they're selling like sony will consider well right now i think they're making money but sony in the past will was willing to lose money on a console they're definitely losing they money thought, now they've already publicly said they're losing hmm. money on average with the ps5 so what i would assume that means is they're about breaking even on the disc version but the discless is for okay. sure losing money each one sold for 400 Oh yeah, I guess that's true. The disc version is definitely. I think a lot of people money, misquoted but, that too, where they said Sony's losing money on the PS5. They just said like the average SKU. People are forgetting that okay. it's an average. Although I think ninety percent of them sold either disc version, so it's probably just breaking even on the disc one at best. Yeah, I mean, the, well, yeah, if so. the average SKU is selling below cost, that would to me say that the the price of the PS5 is very very close to five hundred or whatever they're selling it to the. Uh, to their uh, distributors yeah. for. Um, so Sony then is currently willing to lose money on the console because they assume they'll make it up in the back end, and they're definitely right. But I, for some reason, I think Nintendo needs to make profits on everything, every single product they sell. Yeah, I... And again, I guess my problem also is I don't think that's a bad strategy overall. I just think if they made less of a profit, because like... I don't think people, some people understand the Switch is like 50, 78 bucks to make or something. Like, I'm telling you, like, it, like they're making a killing on each one sold on MSRP. And, you know, it's been out for a few years. So that makes sense that they're making a lot of money on it now. But you, why not just make, you know, instead of like 30, 40% profits on each one sold, why not make 20%, let it age better and have, God, they would just have such a killer lineup of every third party game if they did this. Well, yeah, and then make 20% on every third-party game sold, right? Which are something no, I think like it's that. more like 30 or 40, yeah. 
Oh, okay. What, I, I, whatever Sony and Microsoft make. Like, you for don't want Call of Duty Warzone on this. Obviously, they might not be able to fit the file size, but whatever comes after Warzone, you could put this on there. And there'd be a lot of people, maybe me, who would decide to pick it up and log in and play through the Switch. Yeah. And I don't know. I think they're leaving money on the table, but may, <laughs> I, I guess they don't think they are. But let's be clear, we don't know what the next SOC is. So for all we know, you know, but I guess that's just our thoughts on it if they don't go with something. Again, close enough to the Series S, close enough that you can get most third-party games instead of just a handful. Yeah, and who the hell knows? Maybe there's, maybe they're releasing a follow-up to the SOC that's another, they're making another upgraded Maxwell SOC and that this leak just doesn't detail that. We just know the current SOC isn't being produced anymore. Yeah. Dead of Night writes in and asks, any rumors about the Switch Pro or the chips that might be powering it? Well, so we just covered that, but I did bring in this reader mail also just to address. I've had people ask us before, you know, will you cover Switch? And it's like, yeah, but the problem is it kind of launched. I mean, like, when, when did the Nintendo Switch launch? I guess. 2017. Yeah, so it launched before Moore's Law is Dead was a thing. <laughs> like, And so there was no need to really cover it much. I didn't have much to say. It was out. It had been out. It is what it is. But if we get any info on the Nintendo Switch Pro, and even when, if it's not from rumors, you know, or from sources, like if it actually comes out publicly, you can expect me to do analysis videos of it. I like talking about gaming hardware. I covered Xbox, I covered PlayStation. I'm happy to cover Nintendo Switch Pro as well. It's just in the previous cycle, we weren't here. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I mean, we just talked about it, Dead of Night, and I like talking about gaming hardware. It doesn't need to be on PC or PlayStation or Xbox. That being said, I do. Just, and, and I guess, like, if the PS5 had launched in like 2018 or something, we probably wouldn't have that much to say. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Given how your channel launched, we probably wouldn't be, have that much to say about Sony right now. No. And in the year 2023, There'd be a lot to say, but um, I don't know. I also think there is just something to say with the Nintendo. There's generally less to say about it because they're not trying to be a leader in developing technology for computer hardware. They're buying they're buying things off the shelf, basically. Much more off the shelf than it seems Sony and Microsoft are. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right, Dan. That's all of the main stories. Shall we get to the wrap up? Um, Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm looking here. We have a new Intel vulnerability, a new side channel attack. I again, I, I don't have much to say about this except that guy's really performance. It, and by the way, I want to say this: Hardware Unboxed has found that like if you have Skylake, its performance gets really erratic in some games now with the security patches versus comment like that this really cannot be overstated that look if you're happy with your performance good don't upgrade unless you need to but that there really is an effect from these vulnerabilities and they will keep coming to 14 nanometer designs especially the skylake iteration designs yeah and i was just gonna say like earlier on into the uh in the podcast it seems like every week there was a story about a new vulnerability and i guess they're slowing down now but i don't know if you're still using a skylake or i Skylake refresh CPU, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's time to consider upgrading. Yeah. Um, the next story, uh, minor story in the wrap-up section is fully ray-traced 
Metro Exodus, which I saw this mentioned on Steam, and I'm like, oh God, what? There's a special edition version right after I bought the game. But no, it's going to be a free upgrade to people who have Metro Exodus on Steam on PC already. So that's nice. And additionally, it's kind of really interesting what 4A Games is planning to do here with Metro Exodus. Um, they're planning to make a fully ray-traced version of the game. And then let me see. I believe it says... Oh, wait, that's interesting. Has that been removed? What? Do you see 4K60 on there anymore? No. It used to say that. <laughs> I, wow. guess they, I guess they're tempering expectations. <laughs> that's funny. Let's see. They definitely removed it. So just so everyone knows... Well, let's back up then. 4A is planning to release an enhanced version of Metro Exodus that will be free to people who already own it on PC, on multiple storefronts, not just Steam. And they're planning to do full ray tracing. And you will need a ray tracing capable graphics card to play this version of the game. I think that's a fascinating idea. And what they said is they're targeting full ray tracing on the consoles with 4K60. They removed that though. Mm. So, and they said that they were going to try to get close to 1080p, which I've already mentioned in this episode on Series S, but they've removed that as well. Now they mentioned nothing about resolution on the Series S. Ah, uh, that's, hmm. Seems like they might have been a little bit premature putting out this statement then. I mean, that's what I was going to say is this is a project to watch, which I stand by it. This is yeah. still going to be a project to watch. They are upgrading an existing game with full ray tracing, requiring a ray tracing card, and it's a AAA first-person shooter. And I think this is worth mentioning because like, it's obvious why they would do this. They're upgrading their engine and finding a way to sell it as something before they move on to the next game, I'm guessing. And they want to ambitiously try to make a ray tra- full ray tracing engine. Yeah, I, 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 that, It's funny, the story was that they're going to try to get it to work at 4K60 on console. The way they've changed this shows that they're not so sure anymore. Which I would say, locked 60 is better at like checkerboard at half 4K. Who cares? You know, yeah. just make it run at 60 hertz. It's not worth the frame rate loss. And if and if Spider-Man Miles Morales can run at 1440p 60 um, with ray tracing on, and then I don't see why they couldn't do like ha- like the same thing for Metro Exodus on console. They just have to put in the effort. Yeah, of course. And hopefully give... I, I, I do just want to see a game that really does try to deliver good performance with uh, ray tracing on PC because I really don't feel like it's there. I want to prove it can yeah, put on like mid range and low end cards as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's a project to watch. And already watching it, some interesting things have popped up. <laughs> uh, also, a thirty seventy was upgraded with sixteen gigabytes, and it works. I just thought this was worth including because I wish my I mean, I'm sorry a thirty seventy because I wish my thirty seventy had sixteen gigabytes of RAM. Well, if you buy some, if you buy some two gigabyte uh, modules, you can do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to bother. I'll just look for a four thousand eventually or something. Probably um, a better choice. Also, I saw this. Here's another thing in the wrap up: Saison AM4 engineering sample that works on AM4. I immediately clicked to see if I could buy it to test for the channel. <laughs> it was already <laughs> sold out. What's funny is it seemed like it was sold for like one seventy. Like it was sold for a reasonable price for being this rare thing. I don't know. I wonder if it'll keep popping up. Were the? I, I guess were there multiple models of it? I mean, were there not multiple models? Were they selling multiple uh, CPUs, or was there just like one available for sale? There were like seven or eight or something. I think. Yeah, I mean, it would have been cool if you could have gotten that, but 
Yeah. Uh, but people that are looking for unicorns are going to buy that stuff up whenever they can. Yeah, I bet it sold out immediately. They should charge way more money, by the way, uh, than like 170. Um, and AMD did seem to have USB issues on X570, which may explain some of the random camera problems we've had here, Dan, when we do yeah. live streams. I, I don't know, but that's coming out. So excited for that update. Hopefully that fixes that. Um, let's see. And also there were some rumors about AMD's DLSS, and this came... From Linus Tech Tips, who reached out to AMD. Um, and what was interesting is Linus says his contact told him that they're looking at some kind of cross-platform solution that they'll even try to work with devs making games on consoles to utilize <laughs> for Fidelity FX Super Resolution. Which is interesting because I feel like most console devs, especially exclusive devs, at least at Sony, have found their own workarounds to the same thing as DLSS to make image quality look good. This looks like it to me. Um, this is interesting, though, that AMD is working on all platforms to have this Fidelity FX Super Resolution. Yeah, I mean, it makes... I think it makes sense that they would try to do that, though. They are pro- they have stuff in so many different uh, products now. It's <laughs> might as well gain from being in all of those markets or in all of those consoles and PCs. Yeah. And uh, so I guess what I will say is this does sound like it's something ambitious they're working on. Hopefully that's why it's taking so long is they're not rushing out an answer. They're trying to make something better than what NVIDIA has. That's what it kind of seems like. I hope so, at least. I would rather them ha- launch a an actually good competitor later than, I don't know, some bullshit like a lip service response to DLSS. And here is one that I do need to talk about. So actually, we have two big things to confirm here. Uh, In the wrap-up, I'm not doing a video on this right now. Maybe I will eventually. But So Intel Raptor Lake rumors have been swirling around, and I reached out to a couple sources about what this is because I obviously haven't covered Raptor Lake yet. And the suggestion I've gotten is that Intel Raptor Lake is probably a stopgap in between Alder Lake and Meteor Lake. And Meteor Lake is a very big upgrade over Alder Lake. So it wouldn't be surprising, especially if what Raptor Lake is, is some TSMC version of Alder Lake. Yeah, but just generally a... And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, how they're moving some of their capacity over to TSMC TSMC. in the next... What was it? Next year or so, right? But that's planned as being kind of a backup and a stopgap to them getting their 7 nanometer EUV working. That would make a lot of sense if they were designing Meteor Lake for their own 7 nanometer EUV from the ground up. And then they were like, let's die shrink Alder Lake to like, you know, TSMC's 5 or 3 nanometer and we'll call it Raptor Lake. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think it speaks, I think it speaks to Intel actually getting back into the CPU market in a way they haven't been for a couple of years now. You know, and if I look at video cards reporting on Raptor Lake, just like looking at the differences between architectures here, it says Tiger Lake, new 10 nanometer Cortex Superfin. It's basically nothing over Ice Lake besides higher clock speeds and better graphics. Then you go to Alder Lake, new performance hybrid architecture with CPU cores, new Gen 5, discrete, new Windows security features. Then you go to Raptor Lake, new hybrid CPU core changes for improved performance. New power hmm. delivery. It's not, this looks like a, you know, like an Ivy Bridge to Sandy Bridge situation to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's what I've been told by a couple of sources it probably is. So that's what Raptor Lake most likely is. And uh, I guess the final thing in the wrap-up to discuss, Dan, is Bethesda, Bethesda, Jesus, <laughs> Bethesda officially joining Microsoft with further indications that some of their games will be exclusives. And I'm just going to confirm it now. People have heard me in a few broken silicon saying that I know of an Xbox exclusive that isn't confirmed yet. That is the Elder Scrolls. I was directly told that Microsoft was considering making the Elder Scrolls. The next one, um, Xbox exclusive, and probably also on Windows then, of course, at launch. But that they weren't sure about it yet. This was as of like, I don't know, half a year ago. And that no one should really double down on this info because this game isn't coming out till like 2024 or something ridiculous. They still have that sci-fi game that allegedly exists. Starfield. <laughs> Starfield. I wanted to say Star Citizen, but I knew that wasn't right. So, <laughs> yeah, the other totally real Star game. <laughs> but yeah, they've they've still Bethesda still has another game between this and the Elder Scrolls. So, based on their current dev cycle, I don't know. We'll get we'll get the Elder Scrolls <laughs> Six in twenty twenty seven. I don't know. Yeah, on the on the PS seven or something, or not yeah, on the PS seven. Yeah, uh, on the. Uh, Xbox Series X 2026 edition. Um, but, you know, having the Bethesda thing fully go through and Microsoft talking about some of the games being exclusive. Look, again, Microsoft's wording in this statement is like kind of weird. It, they, I think they clearly indicate they're still not sure which games they want to make exclusive because, and again, if you ask me, I think it'd be better to just put it on Games Pass and sell it on other consoles and just make people feel dumb for paying $70 or whatever. But we'll, we'll see what they do. The point is, I am confirming that uh, they are considering making Elder Scrolls an Xbox PC exclusive. Um, but do not double down. I, I I wouldn't double down on saying they will because they just weren't sure at the time six months ago. And I would say based that statement, that initial statement they put out was, I, I, there was no in, indication in my opinion that they were planning on making anything exclusive really. Like obviously you have to have the assumption that they might because they just bought, what was it like seven massive, well, seven big studios, well, like four big studios and seven studios overall. But they bought a bunch of studios. You would assume something is going to have some type of exclusivity, whether that's just timed exclusivity or whatnot. But I don't know. It seems like they're now <laughs> semi-confirming something will be exclusive officially, even if they're still being really cagey about what it is officially. Well, which you have, does, you have to they're being cagey, though, Dan, because a lot of these have existing contracts that can't that make them so they can't be exclusive like Deathloop and I mean even like you don't know what comes after Deathloop and maybe that had some contract with Sony and we don't even know if already Sony was working with them on Star Citizen before this happened you assume they were so Starfield Star oh Jesus yeah no <laughs> I made the mistake Starfield but Elder Scrolls is far enough away that I could see that one being exclusive, whereas Starfield, I think, is kind of in that territory of, well, it's already in development. Maybe they're already working on it on PS5, you know. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, so maybe they're not sure what will be able to be exclusive yet, but they know some of them will be, and that's kind of what this Xbox press release tells me. No, they really will probably make something exclusive, at least a couple things. That or it speaks to, and I think we've, talked about this before i i don't think microsoft fully knows what they're doing with all the acquisitions they're making like i think they're just buying things when they think they can buy them and because now they're up to like 20 studios i don't think they 
I don't think they need 20 studios, but or I think they're to more than 20 studios now. And I don't know what they're doing with all of them. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see, we'll see what happens. It's yeah, they're they're turning into THQ, buying everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, and <laughs> THQ is even funnier. It's like fifty games in development at THQ. No, <laughs> I think on I think that I've heard them heard like <laughs> there's over a hundred games or like two hundred games being made at THQ right now. Like some insane <laughs> number of games. All right, THQ. We'll see. We'll see what actually. We'll comes see out. how many of those come out. Yeah. All right, so let us get to the final reader mails. Metal Shark writes in again and says, with number one, the Microsoft ZeniMax deal going through, whereby ID, a shining example of Vulcan usage, now sits under a company pushing DirectX. And two, DirectX storage looking to come out way ahead of Vulcan's implementation. And three, Vulcan's meetups being impended by the pandemic. I think I remember hearing that. Does, is it looking like a silent DirectX landslide over Vulcan from your perspective? And my answer is I never expected Vulcan to beat DirectX ever. Well, Vulcan was always like in a game. It was always like a surprise when it was in a game and it was something interesting to look at. I don't think there was never really any evidence that it would take over. Yeah. And I don't really think, I don't really get the whole API war mentality either. And I, and I mean, I shouldn't put it that way. Just, I don't get the discussion. It's like, I think DirectX is just the standard with Microsoft's backing for PC games. And Vulkan is just kind of cross platform in there. And some people use one or the other. I don't really think there's much else to say besides that from my perspective. I always kind of expect DirectX to be the standard for the overwhelming majority of PC games. Yeah, and I mean, it's good if a new open source API gets made every once there in a while. There needs to be competition. There needs to be competition, and I, I, and I believe Microsoft just integrates some of, like, some stuff from Vulkan is in DirectX 12, isn't it? Well, Which, I, I don't think that'd be the way I'd say it, right? It's, okay. They, they have their own yeah, things yeah. you can do in their API that meets what Vulkan can do. I wouldn't say they took something from Vulkan. It's different code, but... Competition is always good. It makes Microsoft actually innovate, even though DirectX 12 really never <laughs> did anything that interesting. But maybe DirectX 13 will be better. DirectX 12 made all games run worse. That was great. <laughs> it seems like the odd iterations of DirectX always seem to be the, the winners, though. <laughs> or maybe, oh, I don't know. I think DirectX 12 will be the standard. Uh, I just think the problem was devs were bolting it onto 11, and that's just not how you're supposed to do that. Yeah, and, yeah, and that was my, right. I was told that too by a couple of devs that they were like, I don't understand why Microsoft is marketing this as some big new performance boost because it's not going to be. We're just going to be able to do new things more efficiently when we build a game from the ground up with this. The marketing mm-hmm. this is a performance boost like Mantle. God, remember Mantle? Oh, yeah, Mantle. Which had some bizarre performance problem thing happen every 55 minutes of gameplay in Battlefield 4, if I remember right. Some Mm -hmm. weird memory leak thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens when it's not the main API. Just please just stop. Just design with one API, guys, and make it work well. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably overall better. All right. Mario writes in and says, how do you feel about the EVE Spectrum monitor now that it's $800 and still not out? Well, I mean, uh, I would just say that I've been saying for a while 
that don't pre-order these things because you don't know what the price of the competition will be by the time it actually launches. Like right now, I'm quite happy with my 120 hertz 4K HDR 400 Concept D professional monitor or semi-professional, I guess you might say, monitor that I think I've had for like a year now. I got it for like 800, 850. I think it's close to $600 now sometimes if you can get a good deal on it. And that's, you know, it's not as good as the Eve. It's not as good of a panel quite. It's more color accurate. And it doesn't have HDR 600. But, you know, it's pretty close. It's a 4K 120 hertz monitor with some HDR capabilities. And it's now cheaper than what the Eve is basically launching for. That's why you just don't pre-order and you wait. Having said that, the Eve looks really good. And in fact, I was reached out to by Eve a few months ago to get a test unit in January. And here we are in March. Yeah, I, I I think even when we first mentioned the Eve Spectrum Monitor, we were like, I mean, I don't know if this is going to come out in, at any reasonable time scale. <laughs> but uh, it was more just a to highlight an example of what a, a 4K monitor might look like in the near future, which yeah, those exist. It's just not in the Eve Spectrum for some reason. Well, it's just not really out yet. And yeah. what I would say is just, what's going on, Eve? You guys reached out to me and I'd love to test this monitor. It does look better than my Concept D. And I'd, I'd love to tell people they should buy it if it's good, but I don't have it yet. <laughs> the price went up. What's up? Yeah. Um, Roughneck writes in and he says, hi, Tom. And he goes, by the, oh yeah, by the way, pronounce my name Roughneck. He spelled it in a weird way, just so everyone's, for everyone listening. So I just rebuilt my gaming PC and after testing it, I'm left wondering, is PC gaming really worth it anymore? It costs $600 Canadian for a PS5. It cost me $3,000 plus Canadian for a PC that had a 3600, 2070, 32 gigabytes of RAM, and one terabyte Evo 970 plus, and an 850 watt power supply, 32 inch curved monitor. Well, I don't think you can include the monitor cost in. I think, you know, I wouldn't include that. But still, yeah, I mean, much, much more than a next gen console. If I had gone all out, it would have been $5,000 right now. The 2070 was purchased before the market crash, and I only paid $600 Canadian. I get around 120 to 140 FPS in games on high details at 1080p. I'm sure I can get more performance, but why? The PS5 plays a solid 60 frames per second at 4K, or at least simulated 4K. And if I put cash towards a decent 120Hz 4K TV to replace my 60Hz 70-inch, I'd be doing roughly the same as the PC with vastly fewer issues, updates, and care. That's my question. Is PC gaming worth it anymore? I mean, what I would say now is this is one of the worst periods to really build a PC from the ground up, from scratch, If you're, unless you really find good deals here and there relative to what else is generally being sold. Uh, and that's all I really have to say is, you know, a major focus of my 3070 review is going to be talking about the current situation and how if everyone just insists on building no matter what the market does, then the market will make everything worse. You have to vote with your wallets, people. And right now is not a good time for your wallet to build a PC. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because it's also at a time when actual interesting products are starting to come out again. But I know, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff. But, I, I, I mean, we've said that before. It's just now I, I don't think it's a good time, especially to completely build a new computer. I mean, once again, the only reason I'm thinking about, the only reason I, I'm think I'm going to upgrade my computer is because I can sell my old graphics card for more than what I would be buying a new one for because the market's really weird right now. 
And again, the way we talk, this doesn't benefit our channel. It benefits, we'll get far more sponsors, you know, if we just say, oh, you know, this is what you should look at it, or this is why it's worth this. And it doesn't help us to say, no, not good right now. But, you know, that's why we try to be mostly patron supported because we only want to give an honest impression. And that that's honestly what our impression is right now. Whether it gets us less views or angry people, you know, or not, it it is what it is. Well, the good news is I feel like most of the most of the hardware community is relatively like it is relatively on the same page. I mean, yeah, the, the, at least the people that talk about it online. Obviously, there are a bunch of people that are buying stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't have really much else to say about that. Um, Dust writes in and he asks, when do you think GPU and CPU prices will normalize as in at least the mid-range cards being mid-range prices, etc.? Is it too late? Due to inflation and demand, well, I think you. I think prices will get better by the end of the year. But I said better, not great. Uh, don't misquote I, I, me, people. Yeah, I don't. Will they resettle around what mid-range used to be? I don't think they will. And how do you define what mid-range used to be? I mean, I I think of it as the average kind of being Pascal versus Polaris and Vega. You know, those weren't the best prices, but there were bad prices in the mid-2000s, or I, I forgot when, before 2010. There were a couple of times where NVIDIA was just flogging the market, rebranding, if I remember correctly, the 8800 over and over and over, you know, trying to get $1,000. And back then, that was like, more than a thousand, you know. So, like this, we've had bad moments before, but you know, in terms of going back to the great periods of time, like the R nine three hundred series. Oh my god! Get, when you could get enthusiast <laughs> level component uh, for three hundred bucks, like, yeah. Like how much did the thirty three ninety X cost? Like that? It was like what four fifty or something? Yeah, like yeah. I think I got it for like four forty. So, will we go back to that? Probably not. I would love if we would. But at that point in time, mid-range was $200. I mean, yeah, uh, the R9 380, which I had a mining rig full of them, um, that was a four gigabyte mid-range card, 256-bit. You know, and four gigabytes was a lot for back then. I would say that's kind of the equivalent of 12 or maybe even, maybe not 16. I'd say it's about the equivalent of 12 now. More than enough, but not crazy. that was like a one eighty dollar card back yeah. then, and then the four eighty, which was you know I don't know fifty forty percent fifty percent better than that. Uh, that became two fifty, and then you know you move on, boom to the fifty seven hundred XT and it's four hundred. You know, like yeah. doubling of performance, kind of, but still, you know. And now we're getting to where the sixty seven hundred XT is four eighty. I hope we'll hit MSRP on that by the end of this year. The only way that happens is if miners flood the market with like five hundred dollar thirty eighties or something. Which hey, that's something that might, to look that for. Could happen. It could happen. But even after that, I don't really ever see us going back to the Kepler versus GCN era, or Maxwell versus Maxwell and Kepler versus GCN era, nor the Polaris versus Pascal era. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I do think things can go better. I think. I do think we could get to a point where the third, where the forty sixty or fifty sixty is three hundred again, maybe. But with inflation, it's hard to say. I kind of see things getting slightly better. MSRP. I, I think. I guess what I would say is, I think things will get better, and I don't expect them to go back to where they were. I expect that there will be another generation though where things are at MSRPs you see now, 
And that is still way better than $1,000 for a, or God, you know, yeah. $1,000 well, for a 3070, Jesus. I, I mean, right now, GPUs don't even have prices, in my opinion. It's just like, oh, yep, sometimes you can, you might be able to get a 3070 for 600. It might You might need to pay 1100 depending on the day. None of these things really have a price right now, even if they have an MSRP. Yeah. Sammy Good writes in and he says, I recently joined the Patreon and have been joyously listening to previous episodes. You make some great points and competition in the tech space. Well, thank you, Sammy. A good company exists to make as much money as possible for as little effort as possible. I like when you said that when these companies don't provide a fight for the top things just get worse for the consumer. For example, AMD increased its price relative to other generations because Intel cannot compete. Also, consider difference among the price performance of the 10 series, 20 series, and 30 series from NVIDIA. We are fortunate that Intel is trying to enter the GPU market, but why can't we have even more competition? Why just three companies? Imagine if we had an additional four. How much faster would things develop? How much less expensive would they be? And, you know, I think you maybe not, don't want like, I shouldn't say that. I mean, uh, who knows? It could only get better, maybe. But if you have 10 competitors, the problem then becomes no one has enough money for a ton of R&D. But I do think things would be better if we had like four or five total competitors in these spaces. And, and that's all I have to say. Things would be better. When I look at General Motors, when I work there, they said we had 5 to 10% margins on most cars. Now, those are the high runners. There were some that you get up to 20% when you had all the extras included on top when it was new. But yeah, I mean, the reason General Motors accepts 5 to 10% margins is because they're competing with a bunch of mega corporations that can beat them. And when you get to 60% margins becoming the standard now when there's a duopoly. Yeah, and I guess, I don't know. I think the other thing, problem would be, um, there. I, I could imagine if there were that, like eight, like he's suggesting in the market, I feel like developing games might begin to get legitimately difficult. <laughs> just because they're so they would have to develop for so many different manufacturers and you would also have manufacturers coming in and dying constantly because it, it's like GM has a bunch of competitors but they also are all driving on uh concrete slabs that ex go across the US i feel like developing a thing that can do that effectively is easier than uh, having a bunch of companies all work in the same PC ecosystem. Now, as someone who worked in automotive, I might disagree with you, Dan, uh, yeah. big time. Cars are effectively houses that can go 100 miles an hour and then have to somehow not kill you if you crash. That's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying, I'm saying uh, making something that can drive on a road is e easier to have multiple companies able to do that. I don't know if I agree with you, Dan. I think you just insulted me. Let us move on to a physical reader mail, which again, Moore's Law does have a P.O. box, so that will be moving soon, like me. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Nashville. Um, let me see here. Dear Tom, hello, my name is Henry Wilson. Yes, you can use my name. I'm currently a junior in high school in Arkansas, and I just wanted to send this letter saying how big of a fan I am. I've been listening to Broken Silicon since episode 24 or so in the channel for about that time. I got into PC gaming when I was 13, and I worked a few under-the-table jobs to scrap together about $700 for my first PC. I went used got an i7-6700, a GTX 1070, and used it until the summer of 2020, about two and a half years. This last fall, I started an IB program at my local high school, and I soon found myself uh, not having that much time to uh, game, 
between houses because of a few family issues and downsizing. And anyways, I, I'm going to skip ahead a bit here, but it's funny. He says that he eventually went to the used market for a Razer laptop, which I want to say is on eBay, there are refurbished Razer laptops that are sometimes mm. really good deals. And he's making do with an Ice Lake system right now that he says plays most of his games more than well enough. And he and he adjusted settings in the BIOS to let it boost to 25 watts. And he's like, I'm playing this better than my desktop Skylake. <laughs> but nice. yeah, he does he does offer to send us a 3060 Ti for testing in the meantime, to which I told him, you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot on his plate, and he's a younger listener. Cool to hear that we're we're reaching people in high school. We're reaching now. it's good reaching to hear the youth. We're, we're touching lots of kids. <laughs> Did I say that in a bad way? <laughs> you you might have put that in a bad way. You might have put that in a bad way. But he says, P.S., I'm looking to go into engineering, specifically electrical, mechanical, or aerospace. Is there any tips on what I should expect? I know that there's a lot of math, work, 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 and some more work, but more specifically, what? Also, are there any classes I should take in high school? I'm currently taking AP Calc, AB. Uh, you want to take that. Um, Equipment. Yeah, and then BC next year, which is the equivalent of Calc 1 and 2. If all this fails, I could just go into biz. Yeah, so, I mean, when you go into engineering, you just got to get ready to really focus. And it's just so, 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 so much work. But that I actually feel like the first two years were harder than the next two because they're so book heavy and learning heavy. And it's more application later on. So just, you're going to have to hook it out for a couple of years. And what I would say is don't be afraid to take five years. You know. Um, I didn't, but I took four and a half, um, although I did get a minor um, there as well. But still, I, a lot of people, some people took like eight years. I think that's maybe a little too long. But don't be afraid to take five or six years if you feel overworked, because it really is a lot of work. And if you feel like you're going to fall apart in your second year, just don't be afraid ahead of time to tell a professor, hey, Let's end this class before it is a demerit and push back some credits to another semester because a lot of people don't do that and they burn out. And I did that one semester and I just graduated in four and a half years. And it was the best decision I made. And I got far better grades because of it. Yeah, not like I, I'm not an engineer. I, I didn't major in engineering, but uh, most yeah, of my but you're f- judging us with our cars, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, I, I had mostly engineering friends when I was in college. And I knew a couple of them that took tried to do like 19 credits and yeah. they just burned out. Don't don't do that. Yeah. Otherwise, you're doing everything correctly. You know, you don't need to be the best at math, but you do need to be able to do it. You should be getting good grades in high school. Um, as long as you are and you don't overload your credits, you'll be able to do it in college. It's just make sure you pace yourself because it is a lot of work. And I think just, obje- I've just really heard multiple professors say this really isn't a four year degree and it shouldn't be, but we market it as one because you kind of have to. Yeah. All right. Final reader mail. And this comes from Mia. Now that we're in an era where gaming is starting to become mainstream. How do you think public perception of video games as art has and will change? I'm curious both from the perspective of people who have been into gaming for a while and the general public. I've heard many gamers say that they want games to be respected as an art form, but on the other hand, the general attitude is also very resistant to criticizing games as art. You can't have one without the other. 
I'm talking about, for example, the vitriol towards critics pointing out the storytelling or bad trans representation in Cyberpunk 2077, usually with cries of just talk about the mechanics, which is a little like telling a movie critic to just talk about the cinematography. Important, but not the whole story. There's been little... There's also historically been resistance to games that try pushing the medium as art, like Dear Esther or Kentucky Route Zero. You don't need to like those to think video games are art, but just like you don't have to like a Lynch film, you think that movies are art. But calling everyone who likes those morons or not real gamers, whatever, doesn't exactly scream. We want the medium to be respected. Um, and, he's, and she says, sorry for the longer question. I just see so much potential video games to be really cool interactive art. I get frustrated at both gamers who hate anything that isn't the product they're used to consuming, the pocket at large who still see video games only as entertainment for teenage boys. I mean, I think part of this is a very good point. Like, if you look at movies, it was like, I mean, honestly, some of the movies in the 30s and 40s was just like, here's people swimming. Like, yeah. Like just synchronized swimming, like and then and then eventually it just turned into a lot of combinations of action and romance movies. But eventually now we have movies that span all these different types of genres. And I think too often people are like, "That's not good." People who like that stupid, and it's just like, "Nah, man." Some people just like different things, and the larger the umbrella gets, the more you might not want one part of it. And I and I do agree with that quite a bit. That. There are different ways and reasons for liking games. And just because you like Twitch shooters doesn't mean someone who likes a, you know, on rails or I guess they call them walking simulators. Um, it doesn't mean they're bad. It's just that's what they like. And you and they might think what you play is stupid and, you know, very simplistic. But I, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of good points here. I mean, I don't know. I think just games are going to evolve into in some degrees, things we can't even recognize as games anymore. And then also just much bigger than we ever fathomed and more detailed. And I think there's just going to be so many different types of things. The bigger this market gets, the more specific the genres can get. And that doesn't mean someone's stupid for liking something different than you. Yeah. And a, a thing that's always bothered me, and I guess the um, the whole screaming about this is a medium that deserves to be respected when you have people like that, that, um, you have entire communities that have uh, sent, uh, what's her name? The person that played Abby in The Last of Us 2, death threats for playing a character that they didn't like because they, uh, the story took an unexpected turn. Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, there's a lot of childish people that like video games. I would say I hate this whole idea of gatekeeping what art means because I think, uh, what, what the hell is art? Call of Duty is art. I mean, it is. They, it, they all are. Like yeah. a lot of work and design went into that. Um, wet, every game does make every piece of art. Everything that tells a story does make some type of statement, even if they weren't trying to make a statement. It still does. So, well, <laughs> unlike the, games that are respected by some of the most hardcore people who like to think of themselves as hardcore gamers, whatever that means, who did a whole die shrink about hardcore gamers as a term. Um, like if you look at a game like Demon Souls, it's like, well, the decision to make the last boss or one of the last bosses able to de-level you with one of his attacks if you get hit by it. Literally just removing a level from you and doing massive damage. That's something I've never seen in a game before of like, no, they can literally take your level if you die now. Not only are your souls on a puddle in the boss area that you have to try to get, but now you've lost level to yeah, try to fight him again. Yeah, that's art. Someone thought of that and was like, oh, that's crazy. Now, there'd be some people that say that's stupid or too punishing. 
you don't need to like that. You don't need to like any of that. And to be entirely honest, the entire concept of gaming as art, I found the whole conversation ridiculous. Anything made by a human is art. Period. Yeah. And I, I don't know. And it's like how many Martin's, bad Martin Scorsese takes about what isn't art do we need to have? Like, <laughs> like, listen, you make movies about criminals in New York, dude. Um, and, and a lot, a lot of, of them, them are, are really very, good. Are very good. But, but, you know, who is he to judge what else is art? Who is anyone to judge what else is art? You know, it's if it's made by a human, it's technically some art is involved. Yeah. I don't know that I have much else to say about that. No, I just gatekeeping is obnoxious, in my opinion. And I don't know, film and TV critics needing to gatekeep one in that before the 90s, especially with TV, everything was just like repeating the same plot over and over again to pass the time. Yeah, but like, and look at how TV and movies have evolved. We have TV shows about crazy different things. Some that are yeah. five minute episodes, some that are two hour episodes. Like me and you really liked the show Too Old to Die Young, which that I love that show, but I can't, I can't just blanketly recommend that to everyone because it's like definitely for a specific type of person. Yeah, the only with a lot I of patience. Would- I would not blanket rep- recommend. I would recommend to a lot of people one specific episode of that show. But yeah, uh, which we don't yeah. want to get into because we don't want to get demonetized. Because it's a, <laughs> that's the thing about Too Old to Die Young. It's like, which is on Amazon for everyone wondering. It's you have to have a very strong stomach because it is very mature content. But then you also have to have a boatload of patience for like what are effectively many movies, some of them with incredibly slow moving shots. But then there's crazy good action scenes as well. It's really not for everybody, but I loved it. And that's okay that you don't and I did. I I liked it. You know, but I also want to watch John Wick every now and then because that's just let's go, baby. Let's throw some axes at heads. Yeah, and John Wick's I like that too. Yeah. All right, that's about all I have to say. We got through all the stories. I think this was a pretty fun episode. Um, I guess a, a public service announcement as well that like we have a very big guest coming on. I don't, of course, confirm it until it's like recorded. Um, and that will be in two weeks. Usually that would be another news episode. So the pattern of the episodes may be a little different over the next month because what we're planning to tentatively do for next week is like a half news episode and then a open discussion about some things from Reader Mail. The reason we want to do that, or at least I want to do that, is that if we don't do a news episode or a half news episode two weeks in a row, then that means when we get to the news episode after the next couple of guests, we'll have over a month of stuff to cover. So I feel like we need to chip away at it. So, But I think, you know, I think the plurality of the views are the Tom and Dan episodes anyway. So that should be good. Uh, look out for that. And then a big guest episode, then probably another guest episode, hopefully with NFC to discuss form factor gaming in 2021, small form factor gaming. And then, you know, we all types of cool guests and stuff coming up and you get them early and ad free and you can submit reader mail. If you support us on Patreon, don't miss it. There's a whole back catalog of things like, you know, hits and gems and flyover states, which I need to get another one of those out soon. Um, all that's there for you guys. There's a discord community. There's so much content, bro. Just remember, you know, that's what makes this happen. That's what makes us openly talk about the e-monitor and all these things is just because it's the patron supporting us. And if even 10% of the people that viewed us per week supported us every month, 
I mean, we'd be self-sustainable forever with a decent studio. So, yeah. Help Dan afford taking time off from killing fish. I need to do a lot of that. So, all right. Enough. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good day, evening, morning. Goodbye. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yunt, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Cloud, James Krasa, Justin Payer, Zachary Martin, Terrence Heron, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegard, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Batboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, Burke Garcia, Tara Reed, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name Is Nobody, Joel Curry, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Divider Simmel, Jan Ronald, Robert Ducks, Michael Maggie, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, HardForeRoom.com, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Saul Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justin, Justice Brennan, Viking R., Trevor Power, Stu, Elenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishmo, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Caracillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Faldas, Carnival Bear, Luca, Zebra Zebras, Licky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Spencer King, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Shake223, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Deniscu, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Lagner, David Morcos Gomez, Morton Svensson, Andrew Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Aaron Roman, Jacob Sankowitz, Kara Ratz, Wakir Khan, Eshildar Epstein, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, 
Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy MG, Mads, Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Jijit, Sion Park, Dame P, John Wisnick, Sam Benzel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Michael Deaton, and Danovan Russell. And thank you to Sahara for the music. 